end of the year is upon us, so that's got to mean only one thing. No, 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 no. That's got to be the In This Corner with Brian Campbell. Pro Wrestling Edition, year in review and award show. Looking back at a wild 2017 in sports entertainment. The Brian Campbell is the voice that you hear. Ready to deliver a show that is nothing short of money. You ain't talking money. What the hell you talking about? (laughs) It's a show that is brought to you by a syringe full of passion and intensity. That performance enhancing audio you may be wondering hey bc where is that handsome fellow the greek the most passionate man in north america nick costos well first of all i don't have to tell you where nick resides right right near the beach boy and secondly nasty nick will be joining us shortly as we hand out the inaugural itc awards better known yes as the samsons you know what Oh, yeah, but we have plenty of time to get into that. Let me first introduce my co-host, the fine comrade of Mother Russia, the judge who won't budge. He's the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. Hey, now. And Silver King, it is time to snuff out what has been a very fun 2017. Put that cigarette out. But before we start lauding folks with awards, let's take a snapshot of the last 12 months as a whole and really look back at the biggest storylines like, first of all, with the constant growth of the independent scene and like the access and ease that you, you can, you know, really watch any promotion. It, it's like no question a great time to be a wrestling fan and JPW, all that stuff. But I want to open up just by narrowing our focus on WWE for a second. How do you sort of grade the calendar year that we just saw from VKM and company when you're talking about a fresh, entertaining week to week product that doesn't get us complaining about the number of hours we have to put in? to be great at this and to, to love this at this level? You know, it, it's, a, it's a tough question to answer because this is the first year I've really looked at WWE from a actual critic's mindset. You know, I'm always critical individually, like to myself, um, but this is the first year where I've really looked at it week to week. Am I enjoying it? Am I hating it? You know, what are they doing right? What are they doing wrong? I think for every ill that WWE has put forth this year, They've come back with a moment of greatness. So you have Jinder Mahal, you know, on one hand, but you have the elevation of AJ Styles on the other hand. Um, you know, you have some of the worst moments uh, maybe in wrestling history. House of Horrors match, some of the things like that that we're going to talk about later. And then you have Samoa Joe cornering Paul Heyman in the, you know, in the middle of the ring um, and threatening him. So. I think ultimately I probably have to give it a C plus B minus of a year because there was some great stuff and fantastic matches. And you can say WWE upped its game in some ways, but in other ways, they're still really hamstrung by, if you want to consider it, how Vince McMahon likes to book things. And I think, and I, and last but not least, I think the Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar year long storyline really, you know, like I said, hamstrung what they were able to do on Monday Night Raw, which is the flagship brand and program. I think that's a fair way to look at it. I don't think this was a great year. Week to week, month to month, show to show, as much it was a great year on the fact that there were some really strong pay-per-views. There was a ton of really good matches. 
And there were some really good, juicy storylines. So as a whole, this is a successful year. I'll give it a B without question. But I think it's hard when you have those annoying stretches. And for us this year, it really was that October through December, complete mail-in job. And, and even in a lot of ways, that post-mania, you know, early April oh. to June stretch. I know every year has got a dark point, but those were two really tough mail-in stretches where you start to question yourself. Yes, they came back with an incredible summer, Adam. And I think from June to you know mid-September, when we saw that No Mercy card, that was as good of a stretch in terms of just juiciness. But it was a lot of ways, like you said, one brand sacrificing another. You know, Raw was so great over the summer and SmackDown took a back seat. When, when this brand split first started in 2016, the key element of it was how different SmackDown was and how SmackDown was being propped up as a legitimate second brand on the level of Raw that was going to be shot differently, that was going to have different kind of wrestlers. That went out the window this year. That is ultimately why there were moments of suffering. But I do think this indie push, this quote-unquote revolution, did make WWE better, have to be better in certain areas, but there's still more areas to go. Well, you said it. The, the original, I was concerned at the original draft that they were going to really hamstring SmackDown in terms of talent. And this, was, this is 2016, obviously, I'm talking about here. Um, and even after the draft happened and Raw got three picks to every two from SmackDown and Raw got some of the really, really big names off the top, I was like, oh, man, this is like John Cena and Randy Orton are leading the SmackDown brand. Like, that's not good. This is a problem. What ended up happening was SmackDown developed young talent, just like I didn't think they would, and had a really strong 2016 into 2017. And then all of a sudden, they did the superstar shakeup after WrestleMania, and Vince, you know, as he want to do, cherry picks the guys that he really wants to put over and, and whatever. He left AJ Styles, thank God. But once that superstar shakeup happened, and then they had that payback pay-per-view where there was still a crossover match, it really threw the roster into turmoil. So I go back to that moment and say, maybe you guys should have waited 30 days, get through payback, make it happen more naturally, maybe through trades. They never really explained what it, the superstar shakeup was in the first place. So for me, that's where things really started going wrong because while WrestleMania may not have been amazing, it was still really strong and the storylines going in were pretty solid. And you said did not explain. That's a theme this year, unfortunately. There was a lot of just unexplained, unconnected storylines, short-sighted decisions that just make you angry as a fan, that fuel the fodder of a show like this, you know, of what we're going to talk about each week when there is not a lot going on. The fact that there was sort of a lot of lazy booking, a lot of, you know, and I think that this is a fertile time where I feel like there's more wrestling fans than there were five years ago. It's cooler right now to be a wrestling pro wrestling fan. Major media sites like our own are covering it full time. I think this is the time for them to not focus as much on the financials and t-shirt sales and broadcast rights deals, which they have to and are important, but really go back to focusing on connecting the dots. Cause I would take matches that were a little bit less quality pay-per-views that were a little bit less loaded for really good stories. And I think a lot of people would equal that trade off final note on this specific topic is the two brand system. Did it work in 2017? Cause it worked in 2016. They went back to it in July. The, the fact I don't think pay-per-view suffered at all from July to December last year. I think this year I can question that it did. And I can wonder, and at the end of the show, we're going to kind of talk about what we want to see in 2018. I can wonder if this year it was a success having that many pay-per-views. You saw how they adjusted how 2018, there's going to be a lot less. Yeah. I don't know if it was the best choice. Yeah. There's way fewer pay-per-views in 2018. I think Dave Meltzer reported that we have a list, uh, the schedule up on CBSSports.com. Um, 
the brand split, I was really down on it when I heard it was going to happen initially. Uh, but I think it's been it was successful in 2016, and I think it's been successful in 2017. SmackDown being a live show on Tuesday really makes you want to watch as opposed to and, – and, and it being a different brand as opposed to being like, oh, I have to sit through another two hours of WWE programming, which is really what it was. So in that way, it's successful. They have Daniel Bryan and Shane McMahon leading that brand. They have really good wrestlers on SmackDown. But I think the biggest issue with the brand split right now is that it's – after the Superstar shakeup. And just through booking reasons, like I mentioned earlier, the, the uh, Reigns-Lesnar you know, year-long storyline, it, it's uneven. They need bigger marquee men's singles talent on SmackDown. Guys like Finn Balor, who are just not being used on Raw, who are completely over, could be in the main event picture. And on Raw, they have all this extra time, and they're shoehorning in a cruiserweight division that doesn't work. Meanwhile, you have a, an abundance of great tag teams on SmackDown, and a couple of those could be on Raw. So... I think there's some roster shifting that needs to be done. It was not as successful in 2017 as it was in 2016 for those aforementioned reasons. But ultimately, to my surprise, it's working, this, the brand split. And I think they have an opportunity to really go in a great direction with it in 2018. One thing it still works is it still makes the majors matter. It still makes them feel yeah. special when you have people that are separated that aren't touching. That was a success in this regard couple mail-in pay-per-views for sure that we didn't have last year. We had that this year, but we'll see moving ahead. Biggest storylines of this year for me in WWE, in the ring that we saw, it may have been the handling of Roman Reigns. We know we're building towards likely a Brock Lesnar match at WrestleMania 34, but how they handled him, Adam, in getting him back to a point of pure cheers, and maybe they dipped into their bag of tricks by reuniting the Shield to get there, but even before that, we thought at certain points we may be getting a heel reigns by how vicious he was acting at times against both Braun Strowman and even against Cena, if you want to argue it. But we saw a cooler, more likable Roman Reigns in 2017, a guy that you could have argued was WWE's MVP. That's a monster success, if you ask me, when he started the year still getting, I felt, more booze than cheers. Yeah, and that's definitely there. For me, I think it affected, and Reigns was great, and I don't want to gloss over that, um, necessarily he was great much improved you could tell this the feud with John Cena really helped his mic ability and he's been great since and a lot of the decisions they've made with him have worked including now being the intercontinental champion I think is genius but that has also kind of held back what one of my let's call it a two-parter uh storyline of the year and that's the sudden emergence of Braun Strowman into a legitimate main event WWE, future WWE Universal Champion um, holder. I mean, this guy has completely exploded on the scene, and I think a large part of it is WWE fans are always looking for someone who's doing something different and maybe not getting the respect for doing that. And that's what Braun Strowman brings to the table. And, and to be fair, he's also someone who was able to get a great babyface pop off of Roman Reigns, who a lot of people were extremely down on, and still many are. Uh, as we go through this year. But for me, the storyline is half Braun Strowman and also the dichotomy of that with Jinder Mahal. Whereas one guy is being slowly built up to be a you know, potential future champion. You have Jinder Mahal, who they literally just gave the belt to and said, okay, make it work from here, to a guy that in ring especially, and on the mic definitely, although he's gotten better, was not ready and not completely capable of having that on his back. So the dichotomy, the juxtaposition, of those two guys for me on respective brands and SmackDown kind of falling off and Raw getting a lot better. I think it really goes to show 
um, to the points we were making earlier, how things transpired this year in WWE. Yeah, there was the Raw was so loaded over the summer, that heavyweight division on fire through SummerSlam and SmackDown struggling with Mahal on top. And the spinoff effect for that was, yeah, Kevin Owens and AJ Styles gave us a great, you know, SummerSlam match with Shane McMahon as referee. But that feud was mailed in and really a lot of what AJ Styles did this year, although he started the year as WWE champion and is ending it as WWE champion. The in-between was a lot of mailing and a waste of a top talent. And I I didn't hate the idea of Mahal as this experiment, especially if it's a attempt to roll the dice in a new market. But man, did it go on too long. And, you know, we've talked about it. to see him lose in the end and not even get some kind of big payoff. And to hear that not only was it not a financial success in India because of this, it may have been a negative net gain from it. It was certainly a negative net gain on SmackDown and the blue brand really suffered. And I'm never against experiments, never against somebody taking a shot to see if they can overachieve, see if they can gain heat that way or gain a fan base. But this was a major part of just the puzzling shake your head. Why were we in the spot? Well, What's funny here is that it actually all started at WrestleMania and with the SmackDown brand decision, whoever's decision, to take the title off Bray Wyatt. We're not saying necessarily that Bray Wyatt was the greatest WWE champion of all time, but they had, they had him beat, right? John Cena, was it? In Elimination Chamber. He, or he got the title in Elimination Chamber. Um, and he was doing really well, and fans were totally buying into him. And they were building a main event star. And then you have an uh, extremely weird match. You have Randy Orton beat him. The feud continues after Bray switches brands. And then you thrust Jinder Mahal into a situation where he wasn't ready for it against Randy Orton, where if that same rivalry and feud happened at the U.S. title level and you had AJ Styles and Kevin Owens in the in the WWE title level on SmackDown, it's completely different. You're seeing it right now, Jinder Mahal going right back down to the midcard in that U.S. title tournament, and it's a great fit. It really, really works. And it makes you wonder what could have been this year had they you know what? not done that. Great. You're right. And you know what could have been on the blue brand? How about this? They made a lot of mistakes with the end of the Orton Bray Wyatt feud. And subsequently, they've nearly ruined Bray Wyatt the rest of the year. And they put him back on Raw after WrestleMania. Why not just leave him on SmackDown where he was? Yeah, there was a bad WrestleMania match. Yeah, the House of Horrors was an ultimately debacle. But imagine if AJ and Bray had done a lengthy feud heading into the summer for the title. Bray was still at that point shined up to where he was believable as a WWE champion because you got to give him credit. The beginning of that Orton feud was great. The storytelling, the joining forces, them breaking apart. And the, one of the feel-good stories of the year were the stories we wrote about Bray Wyatt heading into WrestleMania. He had finally overcome bad booking and his character was in full bloom. One of the biggest storylines of this year was how they absolutely killed him. Yeah. Put him on Raw and then just put him in crap and use the worst parts of his character and personality. And on top of it all, never let him win. And that still matters. And now he's a joke. He's a laughingstock where we are lucky that he got sick and bowed out of that Finn Balor feud. And it's just uh, that was a. I, I would never imagine at the beginning of the year if you told me it was going to go so high and then it was going to go so low. And by the way, move that forward. So you keep Bray, you move Orton to Raw. Then in the shakeup, you put Balor, who's not doing anything on SmackDown. You have Balor, AJ Styles, uh, Kevin Owens. You move him, obviously, as well. You have Kevin Owens, Bray Wyatt, and all these guys are competing for the WWE title. You have Jinder Mahal, who you're building up into the mid-card picture, fighting against some of these guys. You have Randy Orton on Raw putting over Braun Strowman and putting over Roman Reigns, you know, you don't, you never have to move John Cena as a free agent. Like, 
so much would have been rectified if they just kept the title on Bray Wyatt at WrestleMania. It's to me, I I will never forget that moment because the match was terrible. All and and I loved him as champion. I said this is a turning point, and it completely was. You had mentioned briefly Braun Strowman getting getting built up, and, and you got to give WWE a lot of credit there. He the credit that he came light. He became a babyface sort of organically. I know some of that was matching him against Reigns at a time when Reigns was still getting heavy booze, but that was one of the successes. Something that wasn't a success, I think, in 2017, Adam, for them was the handling of the women. Yes, on paper. It looks great for the continuation of the women's revolution because we had a money in the bank match and you closed the year by announcing a Royal Rumble and Oscar was great on NXT and there were some great moments. But the booking this calendar year was horrific for yeah. the women. Yeah, they're not giving us the strong matches. And I don't know if they wanted to give us a break from Charlotte because remember, Charlotte, before you know her father's health scare, was being booked as like the fourth best woman on that show. Becky Lynch, they were taken out of title pictures. Sasha Banks, they haven't really had involved, um, except for her winning and then losing the title again after a week, just like she always seems to. So they're the best women on the raw on the WWE roster, with the exception of Alexa Bliss, have not really been given opportunities to shine. Instead, you've had Natalia being featured and Naomi and Mickey James in title matches. You have legitimately some of the best women wrestlers in WWE history right now. And they have not been leading the pack, leading the scene. Now you have Paige back. You have Oscar. I mean, the division is as strong as it's ever been talent-wise. It's time in 2018, and we'll probably get to this a little bit later. But it's time for them to start booking the feuds that need to be booked so that women can actually legitimately main event multiple pay-per-views. You give me Charlotte and Becky Lynch, and you give me Alexa Bliss and Sasha Banks with a three-month feud, and I want to see it. Like, I'm down for that in the main event of a pay-per-view. Yeah, it was a very hollow revolution from the welcoming committee to Bailey's failed run as a title. I mean, it was really rough. A bigger revolution did happen, though, outside of WWE. And, you know, we've went ad nauseum, so I'm not going to go crazy on the NJPW, the Kenny Omega, the Bullet Club. The way maybe, and we'll get into this later, I'm sure, when we talk about match of the year, how maybe they changed some of the expectations of in-ring quality. But what do you think was the ultimate impact that the Bullet Club, Omega, and JPW had on wrestling as a whole this calendar year. So you know I don't agree that there is a revolution yet, um, but I will say this. They, this entire group, um, the Young Bucks, the Bullet Club, uh, Kenny Omega, and then by extension, New Japan Pro Wrestling, it did go from not mattering to mattering. And I'm not saying it wasn't ever good. It's been good. You know, uh, they definitely had their own down period in GPW, but they have bounced back over the last few years. But they went from an organization and a group of people that you could be a wrestling fan and not follow them and not, you know, be aware of their existence and not worry what was happening. And now if you want to be a legitimate, you know, full-time wrestling fan and really have a good handle on what's going on in the business, like most people did in the 2000s with WWE, WCW, and ECW, you need to at least be aware and watch the big matches in New Japan, featuring the Bullet Club, and understand the storylines that are going into them. And I think for them to accomplish all of that is just as good as saying there's a massive revolution, re, you know, revolution happening and, all, and everything's going to change. Like, I'm not there yet with you, but I will say, and I think it's fair to say, they've changed the business um, as it currently stands. And there's, they're not a competitor to WWE financially, but critically, there's a lot to be said for what's going on overseas in New Japan. And stateside with the Bullet Club. I think you said that very soberly. And, and, and it, you know, it's punctuated by the fact that 
you and I are going to wake up in the middle of the morning yeah. to watch Wrestle Kingdom and to open 2018 and, you know, do a podcast, you know, uh, <laughs> breaking it down and recapping it. So there's a breaking news to our, our, our listeners out there that that's something that we are interested in want to do. So that shows that uh, another big headline, of course, was the XFL Vince McMahon, something that that's so recent. We're not going to know where that's going. That's more of a looking ahead thing. But the other big headline quickly was sort of the whole Moro Ronaldo storyline to open the year, the potential of bullying that he stepped down from his job as the voice of SmackDown, led to a lot of rumors involving John Bradshaw Layfield, led to a lot of a further examination coinciding, honestly, with Justin Roberts' tell-all book that came out about, you know, the old boy system potentially behind the scenes in WWE. I think that they came full circle and rehired Moro, who is now the voice of SmackDown, was a PR NXT. success for them. NXT. NXT, I'm sorry, it was a PR success for them. But I think overall, I got to read this as a good thing because it seemed like, you know, in, in a 2017 with the Me Too and a lot of, yep. we're not going to take this anymore, rightfully so. I'm hoping that for the wrestling business and in that locker room, that this is something that they can grow from. There have been a lot of, uh, let's call them old timers, alumni that have come back to WWE. And I've heard it from in podcasts. Um, I think Foley said it and maybe Jericho and a couple others that are so surprised what the WWE locker room situation is now in terms of catering, trainers, massage therapists. Um, now, granted, look, these guys are still independent contractors, and Vince still treats them how Vince treats them, you know, in terms of the employee-employer situation. But in terms of the old boys club and a lot of things that used to happen, the way women were treated, the way women were booked, um, and, and really, you know, what happens when new talent comes in, it does seem like there's been a transition and progression in that way, as there has been, by the way, in sports as a whole. You know, there was a, a time when uh, rookies in the NBA would carry, uh, you know, Dora the Explorer backpacks and get hazed and things like <laughs> that. And if that's what's happening in the NBA, and that's relatively mundane, you can only guess what happened and has happened in WWE and in professional wrestling. So I think that's a really good point. Uh, and if Morrow and his situation kickstarted that or added fuel to the fire, then good on that because, you know, Morrow, he has his own... Uh, you know, personal uh, issues with depression, and he, he's very open and speaks openly about it. Ultimately, the end result, he's a better fit in some ways on NXT for his schedule and his ability to put things over. I love the guy. I'm so glad he's still in WWE. I think he's thrilled to still be in WWE, and I think we ended up as in a good spot in professional wrestling overall with all of this transpiring this year. Oh, yeah, it is that time. We talked about it. 2017, the inaugural ITC Pro Wrestling Awards. You already know what we call them, the Samsons. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. Climb to the moon like that kid down the tram. Because it's hard being black and Oh, I could let that run all day. Nasty Nick Costos back from Christmas break in New York to join us. Nick, I'm fired up to hand these things out because, look, we put a lot of time into this crap, right? Watching grown men in underwear, we at least better be able to decline and, and you know, and, and tell you what was the best and what wasn't. And, you know, I've been so ready for this. I've gotten so prepared for this. The only thing that I haven't done in preparation for this is actually meet up with Samson because I want it to be somewhat, you know, you can understand what I'm saying, be somewhat literate and, and, and uh, what's the word of le legible? What's coherent. the word I'm looking for here? Coherent. Whatever the hell I'm talking about. Here. Coherence. Yes, I've been off for a week. I have not really been uh, exercising the old muscle in the head known as the brain. So this will be a nice uh, way for me to get back in format at week 17 NFL Sunday. So let's do it, gentlemen. 
well, guys, this is dangerous. You gave me hosting abilities. You gave me a soundboard, and it is my pleasure to welcome you to the first annual ITC Awards, The Samsons. Guys, we have 15 categories here that were pervade, uh, analyzed, finalized. I would like to know real quick how Silver King came up with Goldust music as the introductory music for this for, for the award show. So, how did that happen? So here's the deal. So looking for award music had the Oscars music, had the Emmys, you know, the Tonys, all of them. And then Slammies. I re- slam, well, yeah, Slammies as well. And then I realized, you know, who is the wrestling, like, who is the gold standard in wrestling? Which is, if someone was hosting an award show and it was their concept, what music would they be using? Who who would be doing it? And it's yeah, it Gold would definitely Dust. be Dustin Rhodes. Yeah, one hundred percent good call. <laughs> <laughs> because cause when you think of, of of great people on the mic over the past twenty five years, the first one that comes to mind is Dustin Rhodes. Good job, Silver King. I mean, look, Dynasty Family, f- fantastic <laughs> on the mic, great in the ring too. Tough to argue with him. And yeah, great in the ring, yeah. Okay. <laughs> if you don't think so, well, these awards are going to get a little bit interesting. Fifteen categories, three voters, guys. We ranked them. We came up with our set of finalists. And we have winners in every single category except one. But we'll get to that later. We're going to start off with the Bobby the Brain Heenan Award for Commentator of the Year. Our three finalists, Michael Cole, Booker T, and Corey Graves. And the winner is... Here it comes, San Antonio! That's right, Corey Graves, the winner of the first ever Bobby the Brain Hinton Award here at ITC. Yeah, this was the right call on all of us. And we, you know, all three of us voted together. This was the right call because this guy's on Raw and SmackDown at the same time was part of what made NXT so great. But I could, we don't have to sit here and laud Corey Graves. You know how good he is. How is Mauro Ronaldo not in the top three here when all is said and done? I know I had him up pretty high. You guys got to explain yourselves. Uh, I mean, I, I, I mean, I made what Silver King. I don't remember what I voted, but what did I have? Maybe number three. Because here's the thing: he was he didn't do a lot of it this year. So how could you give it to him? That's why he's not there, Brian, because he wasn't doesn't do it every single week. Corey Graves is the obvious number one choice for me. Michael Cole is the clear number two, and I think Michael Cole had his best year in a really long time playing the straight play-by-play announcer, and also. I said straight, but he's the straight man as the play-by-play announcer. Not that there's anything wrong with any of that. And Booker T did a sensational job for me. He's the number three. So this was a no-brainer, Bri. Like, Moro Ronaldo, who the hell would vote for Moro Ronaldo here? He didn't even do most of the year. Yeah. How could you vote for him? Yeah, I mean, he was my number three, clearly. Um, I-, I would have loved to have had him number one, but there was obviously the time off in the middle of the year, as we discussed um, previously. And look, Corey Graves, you want to talk about, like, breakout star for WWE he had not only was he on the mic great on the mic he had the Kurt Angle stuff going on for a good portion of the year he was the consummate announcer's announcer he was the Bobby the Brain Heenan you know new age of this year so I think it was a clear winner and by the way it was a unanimous first place vote for Corey Graves so let's move on to our second award of the afternoon our smack talker of the year and guys there were only two finalists and you can probably guess who they were the Miz and Paul Heyman. And the winner is... How many moments do you two get? 
honestly. You know, in life, thank you, thank you. Oh, I'll take it. I'll take it, Borclays. <laughs> because, you know, in life, you're always told that if you work hard, if you chip away, if you plug away, if you do your job, then your moment will come, and I am sick of waiting for my moment while two undeserving people like you two get moments week after week after week. Now, Paul Heyman is great, but The Miz was our unanimous selection for Smack Talker of the Year, BC. Yeah, he deserved it. Look, this, he's had a, a run that is a legitimate MVP candidate this year. After that renaissance of 2016, he stayed at that upper elite level. I mean, the work he did with Cena heading into Mania, the work he did with Reigns just recently was all top shelf stuff. He is that rare guy right now where you just roll out the ball. The storyline doesn't have to be good. You can put him out there with Maurice and the grandfather clock, and he's going to make gold. But Nick, Miz deserving, Paul Heyman perennial in this candidate, in this category. I want to say the name John Cena, though, because I'm not a big John Cena guy on the bike. But Nick, this was a massive year what do you, for John what do you Cena mean? on the bike. What do you mean you're not a big John Cena guy on the bike? Explain yourself. What, is, what does that mean? Uh, he's certainly evolved into a legend who can who can handle this. I don't like Dude, his he's style. Awesome on his what do you mean delivery. you don't like his style? Historically, historically, I'm not a big John Cena on the mic guy. This year, I thought you could say he might be runner up. He might be number two behind Miz when you look at the run he had. First with Styles, then with the Miz, and then closing with with Reigns in, in this fall. This was one hell of a year. Yeah, I mean, for me, like, listen, you could put Paul Heyman at the top every single year. I didn't think that this was the quintessential Paul Heyman year. Like, he's had better years. And that's not an insult to Heyman. He's a 10 out of 10 every year. It doesn't matter. Like, you see a 10.1 or a 10.2. The guy's unbelievable. The Miz was the right choice here. And by the way, Brian Campbell wins the award in, in, in late fashion here. Coming up from the rear... Uh, as worst take of 2017 doesn't like John Cena on the mic. Okay, all right, BC. No, no, that's not that's not a worst take. Historically, I'm not a big Cena guy, and that extends to the mic. I don't think he's bad at that. He's just not my cup of tea for his specific flavor. I don't he's think you know, freaking look, he, awesome on the microphone. What are you talking about? Yeah, this calendar year he was great. Historically, he's I don't always like great Cena on the mic. I wasn't a huge fan of of John Cena the rapper, just like I wasn't a huge fan of John Cena the All American Marine. I'm not a big Cena guy. This year, he undoubtedly delivered in major ways that you could have given him the award. Great. Well, you're welcome to your incorrect opinion. But what is not an incorrect opinion is that The Miz was the number one smack talker of the year. I mean, you could literally go down the list and, and even stuff that you guys haven't mentioned. How about the work that he did pre-WrestleMania with Maurice, the total diva spoofs um, going into the mixed tag match with John Cena and Nikki Bella? How about the uh, the video he took on his phone before the match with Baron Corbin at Night of Champions or Survivor Series, whatever the hell that was? That was sensational. This was The Miz's best year, and I think that he has ticketed for even bigger things in 2018. So I think that the voters, when I say voters, I mean, we got it right. It's a no brainer. It was the Miz. The point Nick just made is the key one. I had such a hard time deciding which clip to play that it was it made it clearer and clearer that he was the right choice. And ultimately, I chose the one with the most applause because the Miz deserves our applause and the fans applause as he got in that segment. We're moving on to our third award, WWE Rookie of the Year. And for clarification's sake, Rookie of the Year First year in WWE, primarily on WWE television. So, 
we have Alistair Black, Pete Dunne, and Velveteen Dream. And yes, Patrick Clark had been on WWE television previously in Tough Enough. We're not counting that. He is now a full-time wrestler. Those are your three finalists, and the winner is... By God, that's Alistair Black's music. Yet another unanimous choice for this award, Rookie of the Year. Nick, what do you think? Uh, I think it's a great choice, and that was my choice for the number one. As you said, it was unanimous. Now, I loved what Velveteen Dream did. That match against Alistair Black was so, so good, and I've got such high hopes for Velveteen Dream and his future. But when you look at what he was able to accomplish, Alistair Black was over the full calendar year being a rookie, it's really sensational. He's got the look. He can work. He's got a good theme song. He's clearly got Triple H uh, behind him here. So big things for Aleister Black coming up in the future. Very impressed with what I saw from him in 2017. A very worthy choice as Rookie of the Year. Yeah, we got this right because, you know, it's it's Dream who has the bigger long-term potential on the main roster in my eyes, but it's Black who consistently, moment for moment, even, you know, at the at the NXT TakeOver in Brooklyn with the full rock band and welcoming him in. I mean, this guy brought a fresh new character, big-time potential, and this may not have been... A loaded rookie class, like let's say a year ago, where AJ Styles was a legit rookie of the year and maybe even MVP, you still had a decently surprise strong year with people like Ember Moon, Pete Dunn, Roderick Strong. Hey, the Undisputed Era, Black was best in show, though. No question about it. And I'll tell you this, BC, we saw him wrestle one match, right? And what was the first thing that we said? He's ready for the main roster. And granted, he has an extensive career, and a guy like him, it's tough to compare to Velveteen Dream or Pete Dunn, who both are extremely impressive. But this guy could be in the Royal Rumble this year, and we'd buy it, and he's ready to go. Uh, so, yes, Alistair Black, massive win for Rookie of the Year here with the Samson Awards. Our fourth award of the afternoon, Tag Team of the Year. And to give WWE some credit, this was a tremendous year for tag team wrestling in WWE. There was a five- or ten-year span where it was extremely down, but not this year. Tag Team Wrestling is back. Our three finalists, The New Day, the bar and the Usos. And the winner is. The next time you feel those little hairs stand up behind your neck, or you feel those goosebumps running through your body, or your head is on a swivel because you feel like somebody creeping behind you, no! It's not paranoia. It's the Usos. It is indeed the Usos, another unanimous pick. And don't worry, the unanimous picks pretty much stop right here. But the Usos are our tag team of the year, BC. You, this is reinvention at its finest with WWE. You know, to turn them heel, I know they've they've subsequently turned back to babyface, but to turn them heel at the end of 2016, completely redo their look, and still built on the foundation that these guys are really great workers who seem very comfortable in their own skin within who they are as characters, but to give them that room to be edgier and be themselves, this should be like a, a perfect encapsulation of what WWE should be doing more of, of, of giving people that sort of run stale. And let's be honest, Babyface Usos with the colors did run stale. The, whether you loved or didn't love, you know, the, some of their gimmicks, some of the, the ish and all that stuff, if you just focused on the in-ring work, 
These guys were off the charts this calendar year. Feuds with the New Day, matches with the Bar, matches with uh, you know another group that could have easily been in in our finals, which was the reformed Ambrose Rollins Shield. This was a huge year for in-ring tag team wrestling, and nobody was better than the Usos. I personally love Nick. The sort of grime they brought to it, the street level toughness, the references to the you know Uso Penitentiary to jail. They pulled off this street tough heel thing that WWE doesn't always get right, right? Like like they pulled it off very well. You got to give them the give them their due. I, I want to give us some due here because I was actually hoping I I it was unanimous obviously, so you know I picked them. I was hoping that this was going to be a unanimous pick because I feel like they really deserved it here. And the New Day had a great year. Why? Because the New Day are awesome. The New Day are never going to have a bad year. Sheamus and Cesaro are never going to have a bad year because Sheamus and Cesaro are awesome. But no tag team had a better year than the Usos. Just five-star match quality across the board, regardless of opponent. Obviously, they're tremendous series of matches with the New Day, really, the highlight of tag team wrestling in the year of our Lord, 2017. And I think that the Usos were really I think that they were the ones that were carrying those matches a little bit because you would see with the New Day, it wasn't always the same two guys. Sometimes it'd be Xavier Woods. Sometimes Big E would be in there. It didn't make a difference. The Usos would have great matches with whoever, whatever set of two guys it was from the New Day. They were the tag team of the year. And I'm proud of us that we got this right in unanimous fashion because the Usos, I think, clearly deserved it. What a year for Jimmy and Jay. That's a little Barry Horowitz for us. Uh, Nick absolutely nailed it. You know, I'm, I'm going to, a little spoiler here. Uso's New Day didn't win our WWE match of the year. But you could make an argument that three of their matches, maybe more, including one that was actually on SmackDown and not on a pay-per-view, deserve to be a finalist. That's how good they were as a team. That's how good those two teams were together. Again, as I said earlier, great year of tag team wrestling back in WWE. And just one more, by the way, shout out to Ambrose and Rollins. I'm kind of shocked they, they didn't make our final three. That shows you how deep the roster was. But them returning back together, I mean, that was that was big news, not just the Shield reunion, but those two specific guys joining joining together. And when they were champions, they held up a very high you know standard. I, I really love the work I, they did. I think the argument for them might be a little bit too late in the year. Is that fair to say versus the Usos 12 months? I think the Usos just had a better collection of matches for sure. Also true. Our fifth award of the afternoon, our breakout wrestler of the year. That's what I like to call it. BC likes to call it most improved. But BC, I'm actually hosting the award show. So I'm calling it the breakout wrestler of the year. That was a mistake. And these are our three finalists. The Usos, Braun Strowman, and Jason Jordan. And the winner is. Braun Strowman, indeed. This was not a unanimous vote. First place votes here from Handsome Nick and the Silver King, not UBC. So that means, Nick, you get to go first. Yes, I mean, Brian, I would love to know who you chose. Let, let's get that. Brian, who did you pick here as opposed to Braun Strowman? Yeah, I think we got this wrong. Look, obviously, Braun Strowman, fully deserving. is an MVP candidate. He had an incredible year to get a monster on the main event level and to turn him babyface. I mean, all great. But we're talking about who made the biggest improvement. Let's not forget that Braun Strowman was still pretty badass in 2016, both originally in the Wyatts, then at the at the midsummer point when they turned him solo. You had that not squash like this, run dude. that was come on. Not, no, no, hear me out. You had that squash run in midsummer, and then what we saw in 2017. You started to see some of that over the last three months of 2016. So let me put it at that. He was already close 
to that level. The guy who made the biggest improvement was Jinder Mahal without question. So I think as a trio, we got this one wrong. Mahal got gave my top vote because we've talked a lot about him as WWE champion didn't work. But him maximizing his abilities in ways we never thought possible, hell yeah, it worked. This is where we should have given him his high five because it was one hell of a year for Jinder Mahal, just as it was for Alexa Bliss. And maybe that argument is she didn't make as big of a leap because she was already doing great work in 2016. No problem with Braun. I just think, how the hell does Jinder not finish in the top three? We failed there. Um, Braun, see, here's, look, I- I'm the, b- fair to say I'm the biggest Jinder fan of the three of us. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. I actually, and I really love Jinder in this United States title tournament. Like I would see, I would love to see Jinder get a run with the U.S. title as a heel holding that that secondary championship um, on SmackDown. But Jinder, for as good as he was this year, and like I said, I like him the most, he never reached the dizzying heights that Braun Strowman reached. And that's why Braun gets the award. Maybe right, you could say- the level of improvement. How, yeah, he but, way more than anybody else. All right, but maybe you could say that, because Jinder went from, you know, you know, Curtain jerker to main eventer, (laughs) sure. But Braun Strowman's a legitimate top three guy in the company. And that's why Braun gets it. Because you'd be more excited to see Braun Strowman than you would be to see Jinder. It's not even close. It's Braun Strowman. Braun went from being a mid-carder, a a mid-card big guy, to one of the faces of the company. That's why he's most I guess that, if you want to delineate, Silver King likes to call this the breakthrough. Braun Strowman is your breakthrough performer of WWE in 2017. I like to call this the most improved. Jinder Hall, to me, clearly the most improved. See, I think Braun Strowman's both because you are discounting how much better he has gotten in the ring and on the mic and as an overall character. And you're talking about he was good with the Wyatts. Yeah, he was good. He was a big man, whatever. Now he's a dominant singles competitor. All you need to know about the difference between Jinder Mahal and Braun Strowman this year is Jinder Mahal was force-fed the WWE title and did not main event SmackDown pay-per-views. Braun Strowman never got the title and main evented Raw pay-per-views. One of them, obviously, was a title match, but main evented multiple others as well. That's all you need to know. Braun Strowman, it's not about getting over with the fans or getting heel heat. Braun Strowman's was natural progression all the way up to the position he is now. They could have given him the WWE title any time over the last six months, and it would have worked. Every single match Jinder Mahal was in up until the last month or so was way above his head. And if you put someone in that position, they might be getting better, but you can't say that they've reached a massive gap or they filled a massive gap of talent when before they just weren't really being used at all. So I think that is why it's clearly bronze. That's fair. That's definitely a fair comeback. I just think you do, you know, just final point. You just have to go from where was he to where is he now? That's a pretty big damn leap from Jinder. And Jason Jordan probably would have won this award had that had the real the real launch that he had the last two months started, you know, six months earlier. I don't see how, you know, you, he wouldn't have won this award because we're comparing him to Dwayne Johnson suddenly. So that's pretty big. You know, that's a pretty big leap. Absolutely. So number six here on our award show. It's the Dusty Rhodes Award for promo of the year. And we do have three finalists here as well. We have the second promo between Roman Reigns and John Cena during their build to their first ever match together. We also have Paul Heyman absolutely tearing apart Samoa Joe after he put him in the coquina clutch and basically submitted him in the middle of the ring. And then we have The Miz, which you heard a little bit ago, interrupting John Cena and Roman Reigns during one of their promos during that feud. And the winner is... 
they go back and forth with you. Because when they look at you, they see what I see. A cheap-ass, corporately created John Cena bootleg. He ain't the guy. Dude, you're just a guy. A guy trying so desperately to fill shoes that you never will. And the reason you won't sign that is because you know if you do, your Roman Empire... They boo you because first of all, you suck. And second of all, it's because they see right through you. You're a phony. You're a yes man who can learn how to do anything or be anything. So if you wrap all that up, you're just a fake Not only that, he's a part-timing fake And I'll be damned if I don't bust my ass Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, every single week so you can hang out on the Today Show. Then jump on his big old bus. And hell, maybe I'll come to a WWE show if they pay me enough. But what are you really going to do, John? What are you going to do, huh? You're going to jump off that bus with that big shovel. That's what you're going to do. And you're going to bury as much young talent as you can. But the thing is, the reason why you don't like me, what irritates you about me, you can't bury me, John. And you stand there and blame me. Fine, I blame you. I'm still here because you can't do your job. When it comes to this yard, you probably haven't learned it yet. There's only one rule, step up or step aside. And over the years, there's been a few to step up but nobody to ever keep up. And then I finally hear about this one guy, the guy, the Roman Reigns, the one that can keep up. And now I look at you and I listen to you. You should be ashamed I'm a part-timer because I can do this part-time better than you could ever do it full-time. Now, that was a 14-minute or so promo. I cut it down to 2.38 because we have a show to do here. But BC, I mean, how could it be any other promo but that? Look, this is, the, this is no undoubtedly the promo of the year. That's, you know, the two biggest stars in the company outside of Brock Lesnar on such equal terms because it was real. That's why it was so good, because it was real behind-the-scenes things that they were talking about. Because Roman basically got gangster and showed a certain cool side of him that was organic. It didn't feel like a lot of what we see from Roman, which is a, you know, put a created superstar by WWE that they're trying to push real hard. I don't mean that as a whole. I mean, there's certain elements to Roman's character that feel forced. This was so perfect. And the fact that you didn't even play the big dog part of this, the part that we reference all the time, I busted it, big dog, which is arguably the sound drop of the year. That was part of this. This was their rematch of their three or four that they did together. The buzz off of this promo was so big and so hot. Slam dunk promo of the year in my mind. Yeah, and for me, it's the one that really hits me in the feel spot the most. And I remember being so excited, marking out on my couch, watching that promo. That There were other good ones this year, and like we had good nominees. There were some ones left on the cutting room floor that didn't necessarily make it that I really liked. But 
it's obviously that one because that was the one that I watched and you heard the crowd ooing and eyeing as some of these big insults were thrown out. If you're listening to this right now, chances are you were doing the exact same thing watching at home as what the people in the arena were doing. I was doing the same thing. Silver King was doing the same thing. The man whose name was on the marquee is doing the same thing. That's why Cena and Reigns was the promo of the year. Ooing and eyeing, not ooing. Very, very different reference for Roman yes, Reigns. Yes, Roman Reigns. Ooh, ah, correct. You know which one I voted to for number two, and it was non-traditional. I do want to give Reigns the shout out. The night after Mania, where he heard all the boos, said, "This is my yard now," and dropped the mic. That's a non-traditional promo. But to me, that was that was nearly one that you could have voted in as the winner because of the heat that he created one night after defeating the Undertaker. That was a big moment of this calendar year. Fair enough. My number two, just to put it out there, was the Miz clip that I played earlier because that was nuclear heat for the Miz stepping in a ring with those two guys and truthfully outshining both of them. So it was a big uh, it was a big promo year for WWE, and I think they did a couple really good ones. Um, our seventh award this afternoon, it's a special award that we here at the Samsons like to give out. And in fact, I'm going to let someone else intro it for us. How happy is Katie Vick? Yes, it's the Katie Vick Award for the worst angle and feud of the year. And, and these, my friends, are our three finalists. We have Braun Strowman versus Kane, Enzo Amore versus Big Cass, and Bray Wyatt both himself and his sister Abigail, against the demon Finn Balor. And the winner is... No audio clip for this one. It's Enzo Amore and Big Cass. Nick and I voted for this. BC, why don't you tell us first why you didn't? Worst angle of the year, Enzo. I didn't even have that in my top five. I mean, it, it was bad. But at the very least, there were parts of it that were good. The fact that Enzo constantly got destroyed. The only problem was it had no uh, extra layer to it, no good payoff, no B-side. It was all A-side. It was all, you know, Enzo getting dominated. Are you kidding me on how WWE had some very high moments this year? And I think overall it was a very good year. But they gave us a lot of crap. I don't see how it's possible that this could be the worst angle and feud of the year when you had Bray Wyatt and Finn Balor, which completely fell apart. And we were lucky that Bray Wyatt got sick ahead of TLC that we didn't have to end up seeing sister Abigail, him dressed up in a dress with pantyhose over his face. By the way, can I throw this... something out there real quick? I don't even think Bray Finn Balor was the worst Bray Wyatt feud of the year. I but think Bray so Orton was say, worse. Like, so, you know, the same calendar year that we got Braun Strowman Kane, the same calendar year that we got Jinder Mahal Shinsuke, which we could not wait for each of those promos and those matches to be over with because they were horrific. The same year that we got Orton, Bray Wyatt, Jinder Mahal, Randy Orton. Are you guys kidding me? I am fired up for this. Enzo and Cash stunk because it was lazy, but at least there were, it was all right. There was actual crap out there. There were actual things that really just made you upset. Look at all of this crap in this ring. Defend yourselves, guys. Bray Wyatt alone, like Nick said, could have won the top three. Jinder Mahal could have won the top three. How the hell did you pick Enzo and Cass? Get the uh, the Hulk Hogan on board sound effects, Bry. Get it ready here. Because do you know what Enzo and Cass did to me, basically, for the entire summer? Do you know what it left me? I'm bored, brother. Like, it was... And okay, it never well, ended, Brian. It never... No, 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 no. It never... It never ended. It went on... Week after week after week, and it was the exact same thing every week. It was Cass beating the crap out of Enzo. Enzo would come out and cut an interminably long promo. 
talked about, oh, this is going to be different. Now I know what I'm doing. Now I'm going to get the best of Big Cass. And then Big Cass would come out, beat the crap out of him for 10 minutes, kick his head clean off his shoulders, and we would rinse and repeat it for another week. And okay, we you're bored. in tough months. It was the worst feud of the year. It's not even oh, close. And oh. Enzo and Cass makes Braun Strowman and Kane look like Ric Flair and Ricky the damn dragon steamboat from the late 80s. That's how bad it was. I mean, Bray, Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton, at least it had the carnival aspect of it. Like, it was awful, but at least you're like, oh, like, this is all really crappy, but, but they're distracting you with some of these sci-fi elements. Yes, it was bad, but Enzo and Cass was bad, and there was nothing to it. It was maybe the worst feud I've ever seen because it never freaking oh, ended. that's so overblown. That's so overblown. I can understand being bored. But there were feuds this year that made people like angry. Like, like I was angry at Bray Wyatt. No, it made me angry. BC, you're talking about how Bray Wyatt getting sick thankfully ended that angle. Big Cass tearing his ACL thankfully ended this angle too. They threw the big show in for no reason. That angle was going to keep going on for months. It was so damn bad. And the worst of it, the biggest sin, was that they had us hooked. They had us ready to believe something awesome was going to happen, and they were going to, you know, br- put, swerve us in a different direction. And what do they do? The most obvious thing of having Cass be the one who attacked Enzo Amore. Guys, we saw it coming. You, you we, caught, we saw it coming six weeks earlier, and these, and we still did it. Again, you didn't win any over. You're, you're speaking of a boring, lazy feud. You're not speaking of something that was like trash on your TV. You guys just explained why it was, it was so trash. boring. It wasn't trash. Like we it had. Guys, Jinder Mahal Shinsuke was actual trash on our screen. Like, that was horrific, all right? That wasn't even supernatural. That I actually was... laughed at the Jinder promos about Shinsuke. I laughed. So, I liked okay, them. Okay, Braun Strowman Kane, guys. Explain, like, defend that. Really? Enzo's worse than that? It, it, it was bad. Yes, this was worse. Correct. It was, it was worse. Wow. It was absolutely wow. worse. No question. Maybe it was the way he was raised. I don't know. But, the, like, wow, guys. Wow. Let us move forward from Katie Vick and move on to our eighth award, of the afternoon. Those eyes right there. Those eyes. Lust Elizabeth. You understand that? You got my face. You got lust for Elizabeth right there. And I'm going to tell you, it makes me sick. I can't even stand to look at you. You turn my guts into. If you wanted to come at me man to man for the belt, I would beat you. One, two, three. That would be okay. This is our Mega Powers Explode Award, a.k.a. the best angle feud of the year. And our finalists, Roman Reigns versus Braun Strowman. Okada versus Omega, and the Usos versus the New Day. And our winner is... Okada, Omega, in New Japan, Pro Wrestling, BC. Uh, yeah, look, the, the only... Def- the only argument with this choice is that we didn't get, you know, week to week, month to month storylines on like some weekly NJPW television show to add color to this. But obviously, their three matches were arguably the three greatest matches in professional wrestling history. So, Nick, that's literally the end of the argument. Like, they were so damn good and they were so damn long, right? An hour, 47 minutes, 30 minutes time limit that there's really nothing else to be said. The only real debate here, Nick, is what is the best WWE angle slash feud of the year? Because Okada and Omega did something so special that I think changed wrestling and I think set a new bar, a new standard to what we expect at the very, very highest level of this art form. Yeah, I mean, like, are we even, like, I'm with you. Like, there's no point in even discussing anything except for 
Omega and Okada as far as the angle of the feud of the year is. I guess you could say Usos and New Day because the match quality was so sensational. I don't know if I would go with Reigns and Strowman potentially. Um, I don't think I could do that. I don't even think it's so, worth discussing anything so, other than Omega and Okada. So this, I really don't. This was not unanimous. And the reason for that is because I did not vote Omega Okada number one. And Nick, you said it. What I voted for was the Usos and the New Day. And I will tell you why. And it's basically because of what BC said. I would rather have 4.5 star matches and regular, fantastic, great storylines and promos than three six star matches. And you're embarrassing yourself. No, I'm not because you what are. because BC says and and I kind of agree with him on it. The mega powers exploding is the greatest angle and storyline of all time in professional wrestling. Well, guess what? That match not a five star match. The promos and the storyline and the build to it five star storyline and promos. But so, you weren't watching the Omega Okada promos and storylines leading up. To no, I saw think that because the promos and storylines were great. No, I saw a lot of it after the fact, and and I disagree. And yes, you're brushing they were over great. like it was nothing. I'm not. I'm saying, what did I vote number one? What did I enjoy most as the absolute best thing I saw for an extended period of time this year? And for me, it was the Usos and New Day that didn't just have three matches. They had like seven or eight. They were all incredible. All of their promos and mic work were great. For me, honestly, guys, it was easy. It was an easy choice. You, you would rather you would rather Silver King have watched the Usos New Day matches from this year and never seen Omega Okada. You could only go back and watch one series of matches and the one feud. Which would you choose? But you're talking matches. Yes, matches. Which, I would rather which watch. Which would you choose in their totality? Promos and everything included. If you could only have one and go back and not be able to watch the other, which would you choose? Usos New Day. Same. You and I, I and I honestly I don't think you believe that. I do. I, I wholeheartedly I believe it. If we're and by the way, if we're only now if we're taking the match out of it and we're only talking about the juice of the build, I think I, we have to admit that Rain Cena may have been the best build this year. May have been not counting the, the match. I thought was disappointing. Others thought it was four and a half stars. I thought the one match they had was disappointing, but that build was pretty electric. I thought that was one of the better juice builds of the year. I thought NXT had black. Velveteen Dream, which was, you know, in this conversation, Absolutely. the best of NXT. But I think we forgot to even mention Brock Lesnar and Samoa Joe, which was very that good. Was, also, that was great. Yeah. Yes, and a lot of a lot of the other feuds and angles we're talking about do get love here throughout. Miss Cena was was pretty awesome in the first part of the year. Absolutely, and they all get love Nick, throughout. You the made the best point, Nick. If you you know if you, if you're going to choose any other one, that means you can't watch Omega Okada. That means you can't enjoy that. And that it's was lud- it's ludicrous. Yeah. And, and also um, Kevin Owens, Shane McMahon, also a very good one as well. I should have cut some, you know, walkout music so I could have, you know, hooked Nick and pulled him off the stage here so I can move on to our next award. Number nine here on the right, yeah, so, we, so we can get we can get it for the 15th time on the show. The 10 second drum roll, roll effect. Let's hear it. Silver King. Oh, what yeah. You got? Oh, we're getting it because I put it together. So our 10th our ninth award here on the Samson Awards is pay-per-view of the year. This is a WWE award. And here are our three finalists, WrestleMania 33, 2017 SummerSlam, and the 2017 Royal Rumble. And the winner with full drumroll effect is... Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for the Royal Rumble! Now, BC, I know you were dead set on this being the pay-per-view of the year. And I agreed with you. We'll give Nick a chance in a minute, but make your case. Yeah, and it was the pay-per-view of the year that night in my mind because I think 
we were a tiny bit disappointed that the Royal Rumble match wasn't like five stars. It was pretty damn good, but Orton winning was a little bit of a soft play. It was like, oh, well, I think in hindsight, when I went back and looked through every single pay-per-view, this may not have had that pop that night, but top to bottom and specifically those last four or five matches, this was incredible. I mean, that John Cena, AJ Styles match is one of the better matches this decade that WWE's put out. You had that Kevin Owens-Roman Reigns match with Jericho in the Shark Cage that nobody remembered that was fantastic. The Rumble match, the the, the the women's match was good. I mean, there was some real good stuff going on there that I, in the end, which one would I most rather rewatch? It's going to be the Rumble because that Rumble match didn't have a lot of bells and whistles, but that last stretch from 20 to 30 was packed with superstars. That I thought was very well done. I think it stands up. I think it stands up when Mania was on pace to be an all-timer and it fell off. <laughs> SummerSlam started slow and wasn't that great at the midpoint and finished strong. Top to bottom, I love the Rumble. The, the Randy Orton won the Royal Rumble. <laughs> and you're talking about the end of the Royal. You just, you go, oh, so it was kind of an anticlimactic ending, but the end of it was great. Well, yeah, which the last, one is it, last 20 minutes. The last 20 minutes of the Rumble I thought were great. You had Lesnar, you had Goldberg, you had Undertaker, you had some big moments. It was good. It was good. I liked the Royal Rumble. SummerSlam was the best payback. WrestleMania was on track to be. We have talked about this ad nauseum. WrestleMania was on track to be an all-time event. Is maybe, no, what was his other worst take that I said earlier? That was the worst take I've heard? I don't remember. This, but this is. What, that I, that I wasn't a big fan of Cena's promos throughout his whole career? Guys, he's a robot. He's evolved to an all-timer. But don't try to sit here and tell me that Cena's always been an amazing stick, man. Like, come on. WrestleMania 33 was a garbage pay-per-view. It was awful. Reigns and Undertaker is the main event. Randy Orton and Bray Wyatt with insects. In Are you freaking kidding? WrestleMania should not have even made the cut. WrestleMania was the, one of the worst pay-per-views of the year. Great Balls of Fire was better than WrestleMania. Great Balls of Fire would have been a better choice than Wrestle, Wrestle freaking me. Get the hell out of here with WrestleMania 33. Royal <laughs> Rumble's not a bad choice. Voice. So heavy on the go home, and the go home sucked at WrestleMania. But let's not the sit whole here and part try to act. Sucked. At the it was awful. Oh, you're so far off. At the three quarter, Adam, at the three quarter mark of WrestleMania, we were saying to ourselves, "This thing is out of control." I this think, thing is I so think good. you two idiots were no. saying that to yourself. Anyone with a freaking brain knew that it was bad. No, I think you're. I, I don't want. I don't like the term misremembering, but I think you're. You're getting your opinion is getting stronger on this, Nick. As time has gone on, and you forget. No, it. I said it after the fact that I thought it was a garbage event. No, no, no but I didn't think it but was in good. the moment, but in the moment, we got through the Shane McMahon match, the Chris Jericho Kevin Owens match, and as which we, was garbage. And as it was we were, not no, not with garbage. not with his finger a, on the Jericho bottom Owens rope. Was a, was a two was a two star match, three point seven five star match. Come on, Nick, you got to go back. No, bro. I, I I disagree. I was there. Like like like, you think like 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 do do I get? Actually, like a bonus in my contract for killing WrestleMania. I don't. <laughs> I'm being honest. I thought the card sucked. I thought it was awful. You guys, you mean to tell me that you loved the 40-minute Triple H Seth Rollins match? You thought that was great? The match should have been 10 minutes long. It was 40 hey, minutes or half hour. Whatever. You liked that? You thought that was good? The Hardy Boys pop and their match. Lesnar Goldberg. AJ Lesnar Shane. Goldberg was good. AJ Shane was all right. Match, the women's match had some big spots. We were on a fun stretcher. John Cena proposing that match was garbage, but that was a moment. Look, it didn't play the out. Cruiserweight the kickoff Brian, match was Brian also Campbell really good. Brian Campbell and the teenage girls loved the Cena proposal. That was a great moment. <laughs> Let's not forget that. The best pay per view of the year was too. SummerSlam because I was there and because it had the best match of the year. No, it finished story. strong. Nick, let's be honest. SummerSlam finished strong with about two or three good matches. The rest of that card was so average, so average up to that point. I uh, I liked SummerSlam the best. Okay. Yeah, but you, 
basically defending the main event, which is great. And maybe the match that set us up there, but you're forgetting that right before the main event, we had what? We had Jinder Mahal and Shinsuke Nakamura, like the first feud of the year. AJ and KO was great, right? Tag team match was pretty good. Everything else was so average on that Pretty card. good, the tag team match. Pretty good. Tag team match was great. This was the one where, where the bar defeated, uh, the bar lost the titles to Ambrose and Rollins. Pretty you good. You had a good. New Day Usos match on the card also that was spectacular. I don't think we did at SummerSlam. Oh, on, on the pre-show, yeah. but Yeah, the pre-show well, match, that was way better than any match that should ever be on a pre-show ever. In fact, they did the same thing at WrestleMania. What do I always tell you guys? I say that I judge my pay-per-views based on the, a great main event can save a card, and I want to mark out. I marked out during the main event of SummerSlam more than I did for anything else this year in WWE. Randy Orton won the Royal Rumble. Therefore, the Royal Rumble <laughs> is disqualified, and WrestleMania had some of the worst matches of the year and the biggest spots of the year. Therefore, it's disqualified. It's a terrible selection of pay-per-views. Great balls of fire should have been on the list instead of WrestleMania. Come on. Touche. Just a reminder on the first hour of SummerSlam, Cena, Corbin, Natalia, Naomi, Big Cass, Big Show, Randy Orton, Rusev. I mean, like, come on. I, the Demon, Finn Balor against Bray Wyatt. Like, get off get off of it. I will give you this. Great Balls of Fire was great. So was Extreme Rules in June, which I think for those odd non-major pay-per-views was a fantastic one. No Mercy, pretty strong in September. That stretch from June to September was really good for WWE. Get out of my freaking face with the WrestleMania talk. We can't agree on pay-per-view of the year, but there are some things we can agree on. And let's move on to our 10th category here on the Samson Awards, our female wrestler of the year. Our nominees, our finalists, I should say, Asuka, Charlotte Flair, and Alexa Bliss. And the winner is, with four-second drumroll, There was no other option here except the Empress of Tomorrow. Right, BC? I'll say it was a two-horse war, a two-horse race here, uh, because Alexa Bliss had one hell of a year. We were at the, at the midpoint this summer. We were all over her. Nick, Nick especially, was all over her, rightfully so. Asuka had an incredible year. Maybe a little deflated by her soft debut on the main roster. We hope that it picks up. Asuka was the choice, but I thought this was a two-horse race. Yes, I agree it was a two-horse race. I think here's the problem with Alexa Bliss, and I voted for Asuka also. And you know how how much I love Alexa Bliss. I feel like Alexa, after coming onto Raw and being white hot as the champion— kind of faded a little bit as the year went on. She was also responsible for what was clearly the worst segment of the entire year, which was the Bailey, This Is Your Life, which was really bad. And then she was sort of, she's been overshadowed by Paige recently on Monday Night Raw. So as much as I love, this is not who do you most want to take on a date, in which case it would be Alexa Bliss. It's who is the women's wrestler of the year. How could it be anyone except for Asuka? No one is ready for Asuka. It is clearly Asuka. I love that you call her Asuka, by the way. That's probably my favorite part of the podcast. <laughs> that should be a uh, future drop. Asuka. Asuka? Wait, let me Asuka? check. I, Asuka's I'll tell you what her say. name is. Uh, I, got it. I got it for you right here. Not only did he not win it, I felt that he lost it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. Let's move on to our 11th award for the incredible, tremendous Samson Awards. Our Nature Boy Male Wrestler of the Year. Our three finalists, Roman Reigns, Kenneth Omega, NAJ Styles, and our winner is Goodbye, 
Nick, talk about your boy, Kenny Omega. Um, yeah, listen, Kenny Omega did not just have the best year by a professional wrestler in 2017. In 2017, Kenny Omega authored the best year by a professional wrestler in the history of the medium. So, God. of course, it's Kenny Omega. I, I mean, what Omega did, the three matches with Okada, the match with Ishii, his other outstanding matches in the G1, what he I was thought- able to do. In Long Beach, the G1 final against Naito, which in any other year would have been the match of the year. It's Kenny Omega with a bullet. It's not even close. Goodbye and good night. Bang to anyone that dares challenge the throne of Kenny Omega. You legitimately took the words out of my mouth that this really may have been the best year of any wrestler in wrestling history. I mean, seriously, like I love Hogan's 1987 or, you know, or, or AJ Styles 2016 or, or a countless long list of other people who have had phenomenal years this year. Who let's be really honest. What percentage of American wrestling fans really knew who Kenny Omega was on January 1st, 2017. I like, knew who Kenny Omega was when John Cena made those Instagram posts around WrestleMania. I was like, who is this guy? And then I started digging and I'm like, oh my God, he's incredible. I had heard the name in 2016 talking to people who were, you know, better independent wrestling fans. And I were no idea he was that great. No idea he was poised for that kind of year. Do you know how hard it is? Let's be really honest for somebody who's not just not wrestling in WWE, who's wrestling in Japan. To become this level of a star, and I know that you can argue right away, be like, BC, how big of a star is he actually? You're talking about hardcore wrestling fans. Yes, I am talking about hardcore wrestling fans. But even in that group of hardcore wrestling fans, there's really no debate. He's the guy. Like, that's an incredible leap. You could argue he's the most improved wrestler of 2017, just like you can argue he's the best wrestler. He may have had the best match. He may have had the best feud. He, Nick may marry the guy. He's that great. <laughs> I'm in Nick's camp. I Exact same situation, actually. I had not heard his name until John Cena sent that Instagram post. And then from there, you guys made me watch it. I mean, look, I don't think there was really another option. By the way, this was a unanimous vote for Kenny Omega, as it was for Asuka. So we're all in agreement here. But you know what? That's about to change. As we move on to our... Oh, well, don't move on too quick. Just sorry okay. to jump in there. Okay. I did want to sort of have a 30-second talk here of the WWE guys in question. You know, Reigns had a great year. Braun had sure. a great year. I thought this was Roman Reigns to win. If, the, if we had a separate WWE award, I thought Reigns, Reigns had the best 2017 in that company. I mean, you could give it to AJ Styles because Styles is, is the best worker. But I, I, I would give it to Reigns as well. I'm with you. Okay, great 30-second conversation. Uh, exactly. Uh, I'm with you guys on that as well. Now let's move on to our 12th award on the Samson Awards, our feel spot of the year. This is obviously a special award here in deep in all of our hearts. Plenty of underjuice and milk of Marknesia spilled in 2017. Our three finalists were the Festival of Friendship, the too sweet moment between Finn Balor and AJ Styles at Tables, Ladders, and Chairs, and Samoa Joe threatening Paul Heyman. Now before... I do the drum roll and tell us who the winner is. I want to make this clear. All three of us were all over the place in our selections. So we had about seven or eight different moments, maybe even more, if I'm forgetting, get actual votes for Field Spot of the Year. But ultimately, those were our three finalists, and the winner is. Your client chose not to score. That's very disappointing to me. It's very disappointing to me. So I want to tell you something 
face-to-face, man-to-man. I'm just a bad I understand that, and this is just between me and you. Something very bad is going to happen to you right now. Joe, you're crowded. Listen, 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 listen. I'm going to wrap my arm around your throat, and you're going to feel it tight. Understand? Now, guys, I'm the only one that voted this number one. I believe Nick had it in his top three. It wasn't even a contest for me. The way I felt watching this segment in the off-mic moment with Samoa Joe and Paul Heyman reacting to it, like, I'm getting chills now talking about it, is how much this hit me in the feel spot. I mean, feel spot's the ultimate subjective category, without a question. And ultimately, this is our feel spot moment of the year. So, WWE actually gave us a lot of singular, individual, great moments. So, to me, this was great. This wasn't even in the top five, though, and I think we may have failed this. Uh, you know, I'm not nothing against this moment, but this was a year, guys, where the Festival of Friendship may have been the best Raw segment of all time. Like, that's hyperbolic. No, stop it. No. Hyperbolic like, is the right word. To, to the way no. the turn was handled, that turn was incredible. Guys, KO busting Vince open with a headbutt was as good of a singular moment as we have ever seen. I love this too. As we have moment. ever seen, really? As we have ever seen in the history of wrestling? Uh, you see 72-year-old Vince in a non-blood era basically blade himself beforehand or, or in the moment or however that was pulled such off. such a mark. It's unreal. Uh, you know, look, those are <laughs> great moments. Just like when Mick Foley got fired and he put the sock in Triple H's mouth and they had that run, that was a great moment. I love Samoa Joe and what he did with 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 uh, Paul during that whole segment. But guys, the Festival of Friendship was the best thing. Was really the best thing of this calendar year, and I don't think it's a it's a question. It didn't even crack my top three. My top three Same. were in decent. Number number three was the Joe Heyman thing, which was great and hit me in the feel spot, and I loved it. Number two was Rain Cena when that was introduced, which I'm shocked that 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 could have easily been number one. And the thing that got me in the field spot the most this entire year, when I was in Las Vegas this summer, putting in my NFL futures bets, I woke up super early Pacific time. So I could watch on NJPWworld.com the finals of the B block of the G1 tournament. And when Kenny Omega finally beat Kazuchika Okada, I just about lost my crap. That is the feel spot moment of the year for me when Omega finally beat Okada with the one winged angel. So, and, we, and real quick, Adam, we do have yeah. to give Jer- Chris Jericho a shout out because that, you know, the, the couple of moments he had in the last month the, uh, arriving in NJPW unannounced and then beating up Kenny Omega and, bl- and blading him, that's, that's a finalist right there. That just came very late in the year. So, I already said we were all over the place on this. In fact, the only one to get more than one vote was the Samoa Joe Paul Heyman. And that's why it won. The rest of us were all over the place in our feel spot moments. And that just goes to show how a year of wrestling can be experienced completely differently by three people. It's incredibly who, subjective. Yeah. And who are all on the podcast together discussing it weekly. Let's move on, guys, to our 13th award. This is the worst match of the year. And here's a little inside baseball for the listeners. So we each gave, all three of us gave our top five. Um, I ranked them. Then, in this particular category, we actually had a tiebreaker. And in this tiebreaker, there was three finalists, and all three of us got to rank them one to three. And here is the truth. It was another tie after all votes were counted, meaning each of us voted one of these first, each of us voted one of these second, and each of us voted one of these third. So I'm going to read the three. There's no winner here, unless you want to call it a three-way winner, but these are the three finalists. 
and we can all make our case for our worst match of the year. Bray Wyatt versus Randy Orton in the House of Horrors match. John Cena versus Rusev in a flag match. And the tables, ladders, and chairs handicap main event featuring a five-on-three situation with Kurt Angle suddenly replacing Roman, Roman Reigns. So, BC, why don't you get started and make your case for worst match of the year? Uh, all three were horrifically bad, so I'm not angry at anybody going another direction. I mean, let's be honest. That flag match was like 1984 booking. That was as bad as you can get. I didn't but vote for it, by the way. I didn't vote for the flag match. But let's put it together here, guys. The House of Horrors match was one of the worst matches of all time. And it wasn't it, like it's not that I was completely against the idea of going into a a haunted mansion with a character like Bray Wyatt. I wasn't. And it seemed like it was WWE in a way responding to what TNA did the year before with Broken Matt Hardy and the matches that they had at this compound. I'm not against that. I am against that WWE had to WWE it and end the match in the arena, supposedly, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 miles away that we weren't, the rules were never explained to us. You're telling me the wrestlers are going to beat the crap out of each other in a house where it didn't really make a lot of sense and then need to catch a ride to the arena and then finish the match inside of like, it was so off the wall without being properly planned. It was executed at like D horror movie level. It was just horrific. It had such a large and bright stain on it that I don't think any match received that type of negative buzz. Like I hated Kurt Angle insertion in the way they booked that TLC match, but nothing stunk worse than the house of horrors match. The, I said it at the time and I meant it. The TLC main event, which I can't believe that our guy Dave Meltzer gave over four stars, <laughs> I think was the worst well, you thing. You called him our guy. He's a guy that I respect. He's not my guy. Is he your guy? I mean, I don't know. Is he really I, I, our guy? I, I, say, I, say, I say our guy about everybody. So that's just, it's just it's a, the wrestling. A, a, he's a expression. wrestling world's guy. He, he is in many ways. Yeah. So, so look, I mean, yeah, no, he's not. I, I don't know him personally. I, I call freaking everybody my guy. Fine. He's not my guy. But Dave Meltzer gave it over four stars, which is insanity to me. I think that the TLC main event was the single worst thing that I have seen in professional wrestling since the uncensored 96 main event with Hogan, Savage, Flair, Zeus, the final solution, and all that other crap that we watch. <laughs> Look at all this crap. Um, the TLC main event, I think, is actually the worst wrestling match of all time. So, yes, it's the worst match of the year. The only thing that, that hurts that statement is is there were some good moments and good spots, but you're there right. There were no good moments. There were no good moments. It was all bad. So It was all bad. Allow me to tell and, you. And, and, and it went on about a half hour too long. Allow me By to the way, how are we not talking about Reigns Undertaker right now? This was the main event of freaking WrestleMania. Well, Nick, that Reigns, Undertaker, be... Reigns Undertaker was bad in like a benign way. Like it was bad was in the sense that like. Two choice. Like you hate WrestleMania. It was, it was not. No, no, but like it was. Reigns Undertaker was bad because it wasn't like good enough for a WrestleMania main event. It wasn't one of the worst matches of all time. It just wasn't a WrestleMania main event level match. Yeah, and you're also thinking about the blown spots at the end as like the entire match. Parts of that match weren't necessarily terrible, whereas these matches. They were almost completely terrible from Reigns start to finish. Undertaker was like a two-star match. Like it wasn't the worst match of the year. It was just in the biggest spot of the year. So, That's why like it was disappointing. The TLC main event was a negative five-star match. So let me tell you why the John Cena Rusev flag match was worse than both of those. The I see, and this one, I just this didn't even make my top three because it was just a benign, bad, so match. That's all it was. Like end zone cast, it was just lazy it, and boring. It had no, no build. No. It had no build. The match made no sense. John Cena came back suddenly to be in this match without any reason or any, any hate for Rusev, anything legitimate, to bring him back for it. Rusev was in the middle of holding out in an angle 
for a title match to make his return. Then he just suddenly shows up. I think what was going to happen was they were going to put him in the spot that they actually gave to Jinder Mahal. So they ruined Rusev. Then they shoehorned him back into this Bulgaria gimmick, setting him back. And then the match itself, I don't know if you guys remember, it was the clunkiest, worst booked match with the stairs and the flags on top. And, and they keep kept doing spots. And Rusev was hardly dazed, but like went completely limp. So Cena could AA him into a table. This match was horrible. There was nothing redeeming about it from the second it started. It was easily the worst match of the year. House of Horrors was at least somewhat different. And yes, they ruined it. I mean, it was already bad, but they made it even worse at the end. Tables, ladders, and chairs. There were a couple spots that were okay. Um, Kane tried to kill a man. Like Kurt Angle was at least wrestling again. There's some redeeming qualities, at least minimal, for those two matches. John Cena Rusev in the flag match was horrible. Every single thing about it was terrible. And by the and by the way, this is all going to work out for Rusev because Rusev Day will get him over more than anything he's ever done before. That Love is that. By the way, we just went five minutes without even mentioning the Punjabi prison. But that shows you the 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 kind of crap we had to walk through. This Punjabi year. prison was Michael's Undertaker at WrestleMania 25 <laughs> compared to the TLC main event. I mean, out of all the Jinder Mahal Randy Orton matches, I know people really crapped on Punjabi prison. I didn't mind it. Like, it was tough to see, sure. And, and Kali I, came out of it. Yeah, like, it really wasn't that bad. Randy Orton, like, with the Singh brothers inside that Punjabi prison he made, there were some great moves there, and he took it to Mahal, the gender, too. The Jinder Nakamura matches were about 5 million times yeah. worse than the Jinder Orton matches. That's true. Very, very true. Guys, our 14th and penultimate award is the NJPW Match of the Year. We separated it out because, let's be honest, if it was all together, WWE probably wouldn't have had a chance in 2017. The three finalists for match of the year in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Omega Okada 1 at Wrestle Kingdom 11. Okada Omega 2 at Dominion on June 11th. And Kenny Omega Tetsuya Naito, the G1 Climax Finals. The winner is... Wrestle Kingdom 11, Okada Omega 1. BC. It's the greatest match of all time. It 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 is. It is. I liked it better than than you know Michael's Undertaker. It 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 took the art form to a level that I didn't think it could get to, and I really mean that. I mean, forty seven minutes long. The pace was incredible. The storytelling, the selling, the spots were some of the greatest spots we've ever seen, guys. They were some of the most eye opening gifts that day. I didn't watch this live. I was watching on Twitter that morning. The gifts that were coming up on Twitter that day. We're like, are you freaking kidding me? When you go back and you finally learn who Okada is, you finally learn who Omega is, and you relive that match knowing the full spectrum of the storyline. I mean, there's a great debate. Which one's better, one, two, or even three? I'm fine with that. But it has to be one of the three, and to me, it has to be this first one. We talked about the difference between the hour rematch being a longer, drawn-out match and the first one being more spot-heavy, but that's my preference in wrestling I'm I'm humbled talking about how good this match was. I mean, let's be really honest. David Meltzer's been rating matches forever. He gave that six and a quarter stars, right? I mean, like, are well, you he, he likes the second one the best. He likes the uh, Dominion one the best. I'm sorry, he went, but he went up a full star. Like, it wasn't like yes. I'm going to give the first ever five and a quarter star. I'm going to go to six. Like, that has to tell you something, whether you think NJPW is overrated, whether you think rating matches is stupid, which every wrestler seems to hate the idea that matches are rated. 
but this was it. This is a new, new, new solar system, Nick. It's like when it's like when the NBA went from you know bald white guys who smoke cigarettes at halftime to like full on athletes. It's like that type of crossover to me. Um, if you're listening and you haven't watched these matches yet, or you've watched them and you don't think they're great, you're a clown. Do yourself a favor. Go watch these matches because they're absolutely sensational. It doesn't matter if they were in WWE, New Japan, a resurrected WCW, TNA, Ring of Honor. It doesn't really make a freaking difference. It's the best match that I've ever seen. Omega Okada won. So I agree with you, Brian. That was the one that I voted for as well. Because it, are we doing Silver King? Did we do Spot of the Year or was that taken out? Uh, that is we not, voted on Spot of the that Year, That is right? not an official category. That's something that I think BC wants to discuss after the awards are over. Okay, great. So my spot of the year was the Omega Moonsault off the top rope over the guardrail, which, by the way, might be the most dangerous spot in the history of wrestling. (laughs) And he hit it. But the balls that it takes to hit that move, which is which is the most death defying, risky move to do it in the biggest match of your career on the biggest stage of your life is like is so awe inspiring and unbelievable. Omega Okada 3 in the B-Block final is a different type of match because of the half-hour time limit. And it's a breakneck from start to finish. Omega wins it. It's awesome. Omega Naito is a is a five-star match. Like, if not for Omega Okada, that's the no-brainer match of the year. But I loved Omega Okada too. But, Brian, I'm with you. Ultimately, I prefer more of the spot type. I'm with you. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's very subjective. So Omega Okada won. The first time I watched it, I was, like, literally, like, slack-jawed, like, there's no way that I'm watching this right now and that it's as crisp and as fluid for 47 freaking minutes as it is. I mean, just it's perfection. And I've said it before on this podcast. I've had people that are not even remote wrestling fans reach out to me and say, hey, remember that match you mentioned that time at that party? I finally watched it. And uh, holy crap. You must be that hit ma- at these parties, Brian. That <laughs> makes me want to. Well, right, but they, they've literally said that makes me want to watch wrestling again. And that right there is the fuel for me being this revolution guy and doing the song and dance. It's literally those type of moments right there. It makes you want to watch a new style wrestling because you believe that this art form could go higher. And that's what Kenny believes. And that's why he's our hero right now, Nick. We need a hero, right? Like we, we, we joke a lot about that. Like, but. Kenny Omega is our hero. He's the savior. He's changing the game, Nick. So let me ask you guys a question. I, I This was a unanimous choice, obviously, Wrestle Kingdom 11. My number two match of the year was Naito Omega. I'm curious if you guys think that match eclipsed Okada Omega 2 or 3 in your book. You can, you can make the case that it did. For me, I'd probably take Omega Okada 2 over it, but it's very slight. I mean, we're, it, we're, we're grasping at straws here. I voted. I think you can definitely make that case. I did Naito Omega 2. I I thought it was just barely better than that second one. But then you have to ask yourself, if the only Okada Omega match we got this year was that second one, would I then think that was the greatest of all time? It's a possibility. It's it's so close, all these guys right here. And the common denominator is Kenny Omega. Absolutely. Now, listeners, if you have not watched still, after listening to this show, any of those matches, do yourself a favor before 2017 is out. Although... Not much time left. Watch them all. Let's finish the Samson Awards with our WWE Match of the Year, the crown jewel of the Samson Awards. We have three finalists, and they are John Cena versus AJ Styles in the Royal Rumble in San Antonio, Pete Dunne versus Tyler Bate in the rematch at NXT TakeOver Chicago, and the fatal four-way match at SummerSlam in Brooklyn featuring Samoa Joe, Brock Lesnar, Braun Strowman, and Roman Reigns. And the winner is... 
the fatal four-way match at SummerSlam. Nick, wow. tell BC why we picked it as the best WWE match of the year. Well, look, and uh, let me let's praise the other two matches first. Uh, Bait Dunn is a technical classic, a truly, truly incredible match that's very w- well deserving and much deserved all the props that it's got. John Cena and AJ Styles is very close. If it's not a five star match, in my opinion, it's four point seven five. Sensational. The thing that hurt that match a little bit for me was I felt it was fairly obvious that Cena was going to win. So that did kind of. And Nick, the SummerSlam version last year was better than it. That that's what hurt it for me. You know, I. I don't know if I agree with that, but I think you can make the argument for it. Like, I can't kill you for making that argument. But you knew Cena was going to win because they spent the entire time propping up. It's going to 16th championship, the whole deal. So I was not, I, I was a little like, it's a little anti climate And that's why the rumble for a hole for me kind of fell flat. Not overall as a show, but in the grand scheme of things, Orton winning, eh, Cena winning, you knew it was going to happen. Still a great show, still a great match, but I knew that the result was going to happen. I thought that Brock Lesnar would probably win, but I didn't know that Brock Lesnar was going to win. And look, and I was there, so I think that obviously adds to it. And I'll say it again. I've been attending wrestling shows for 30 years. I'm 34 years old. I've been literally for 30 years. I have never felt the electricity in a live crowd like I felt during the main event of SummerSlam when Braun Strowman put Brock Lesnar through those tables. I had, it was like high voltage currents coursing through my body that left me with the feeling that I get, goosebumps about thinking about right now months after the fact that match was booked absolutely perfectly with the spots with the big moves with the great ending with Lesnar winning and not only Lesnar winning but Lesnar pinning Roman Reigns it made a star in Braun Strowman it kept everyone strong despite Reigns losing he still walked out strong Samoa Joe still got the rub for even being in the match and Brock Lesnar obviously winning just a perfect perfect fatal four-way match, a perfect main event, and again, no match that I've ever seen live, including Daniel Bryan in the main event of WrestleMania 30, has ever left me feeling the way that I did, like I did that August night now, in B- Brooklyn. Now, BC, before you answer, because Nick and I agreed here, I just want to add one quick point. Heavyweight wrestling, to me, is what WWE and Vince McMahon do best, and this match may have been the best heavyweight wrestling match I've ever seen when you consider the mass in the ring, their ability for it to be a no-holds-barred fatal four-way match, and the stage it was on with that crowd at SummerSlam in Brooklyn. To me, all the elements came together, and you know how big I popped for Dunn and Bate. I thought that was a no-doubter. When I saw that, I, nothing's going to top this. Style Cena, I liked and disliked for the reasons Nick said. But this match, when you put all of it together, plus the build leading into it, I really thought it was a no-doubter in the end. I think you said that well, and and look, you don't have, I don't have to repeat what you heard all year on this podcast since this match happened. That in arena, like Nick said, that this is as big as a fuel spot match. Like I mean, you, you I put my laptop down writing the live recap at one point, just put it to my feet and stood up and just took in the moment of Lesnar being slammed through tables and how many of these near falls were broken up by diving saves. I mean, this was a hell of a match. I ended up voting number three overall, best of the year. And looking back, guys, like. I had forgotten how many amazing matches there were in 2017 in WWE. My final list of finalists, I think I narrowed down to like 22. Seriously, 22 matches that I thought were of like the four and a half to five star level. It was that great of a year. But when I sort of narrowed down the the number one pick, and I think any of these four that we mentioned are worthy, you can certainly make a case for Dunbay. I mean, it was so intense and raw and almost indie-like. But I love Brock Lesnar, AJ Styles more than any other match this year. And... The feel spot moment of SummerSlam was outrageous, 
But I had a field spot moment in my chair, in my basement, watching that live, writing the recap for Survivor Series. I, it was one of those moments where I stood up and involuntarily did like two or three fist pumps. Like, hadn't planned it. was just like, that match was so damn good. And that means something, that feeling, just like it meant the same to Nick to name that heavyweight match as his favorite. And I think this was a true dream match. WWE spent this whole year five or seven times trying to say something was a dream match. They even had Savaro, Cesaro versus Seth Rollins on Raw one week as like a dream match. No, that's not a dream <laughs> match, guys. We saw that about 57 times this year. Brock Lesnar, AJ Styles was a legit wrestling dream match, and it lived up to expectations. You could certainly make the argument that they could have better matches against each other if this was a three-match feud, no question. But to see Brock sell on that level and work that hard in ways that he doesn't normally work because he's been doing heavyweight matches this year against Goldberg and and, and, uh, Samoa Joe, to see him go back to being the Brock of old, it was breathtaking stuff. That's my favorite match of the year. I could argue that it was the best match of the year from WWE, but hey, hand claps to WWE. It's a great time to be a wrestling fan in 2017. Some of that is NJPW. Some of that is the access to the indie scene and all that. A lot of that is that WWE does step it up on the highest level in the ring when it matters. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I think you nailed it. And would you say, BC, if we had a WWE sell job of the year award, do you think it would go to Brock Lesnar in that match? Because for me, it would. I've never seen him sell like that for anyone. And then for it to happen in that moment, Against that opponent, I thought was incredibly impressive. Yeah, that, that was that was the the reason why that match was so great. There's no question about it. And and again, like guys, one night we didn't even mention the elimination chamber match, the men's money in the bank match. I mean, there were some great matches this year that wouldn't even finish in our top ten. That were just incredible. Like multiple Usos New Day matches. Main event of Extreme Rules. Do you guys remember that Fatal Four Way for a shot at the title? When I'm sorry, Fatal Five Way when Samoa Joe defeated Bray Wyatt, Finn Balor, Roman Reigns, and Seth Rollins. That's as close to a five-star match as as I can remember. Absolutely, and that takes us out of the first annual ITC Samson Awards. Thank you all for being here. BC, Nick, you gave me the soundboard. You gave me the opportunity. I hope I delivered, and with that, we bring it back to BC for the rest of the show. All right, Adam, our 2017 awards are in the book. But one thing we didn't quite finish was just, you know, pointing out what our favorite spot was of the year. Not feel spot, just our favorite, you know, move or or specific moment. Nick's choice, I'm right on with. I'm going to double back on that. The Kenny Omega moonsault from the top rope in the first Takata match into the crowd was just sickening in the, in the best ways, right? It was death-defying. It was fantastic. Was there a specific spot for you that – Really, above all, like my 2016 pick, by the way, AJ Styles 450 splash against Dean Ambrose through the table outside the ring. Was there a spot on that level for you in 2017? So I have two. One of them is that AJ Styles, Braun Strowman, I think, what was he? He put him in the calf crusher. And then, uh, not sorry, not AJ Styles, Braun Strowman. AJ Styles, Brock Lesnar. Uh, He put him in the calf crusher. And uh, Lesnar suddenly, like, woke up and powered out of it by, like, what, slamming him into the canvas? I thought that was incredible. Like, you want to talk about a feel spot spot? That was it. It was like, holy crap, that's great. The other one actually just occurred on this week's edition of NXT. Now, earlier this year, there was the Ember Moon um, Nikki Cross spot, I think it was, where Nikki Cross jumped off you know, the stage onto a table, whatever. It was pretty cool. Killian Dane did a diving spot yes. off of the NXT stage 
onto Lars Anderson on top of a table, um, the announcer table. The the savagery and and how just massive those two guys were. Honestly, I popped huge for it, and I think a lot of people aren't either going to see it or they're just going to over you know over. They probably taped their shows before the NXT show even happened. We're here. I think it's December 29th, if I'm correct. Yes, it is taping the show, and I just saw it last night. So for me. That is a strong contender for spot of the that year. That was fantastic. The the one you mentioned, the NXT women, was that fatal four way from uh, mm-hmm. Takeover San Antonio the night before the Rumble. That was a, a great was. spot. A couple honorable mentions. I thought uh, a match we didn't mention in our awards, but should get the love, which was I think you know the first or second best women's match of the year was that Oscar Nikki Cross last women standing match in the NXT arena. That spot they had off the top of the ladder through the announce table with that superplex, I believe it was, to end the match. That was as sick as it gets. I also think Reigns and Cena on the build to their one match had a spot through two tables in which Reigns speared Cena that was ex- sort of felt next level, uh, that was sort of a, a a powerful one. And then, you know, we mentioned that car wreck at SummerSlam. When Lesnar went through the table via Strowman, that's as good of a spot as you uh, How about the car wreck at NXT TakeOver? I think it was Orlando or maybe the one before that. The triple threat match, DIY, Authors yes. of Pain, Revival. Johnny Gargano almost died. There was like that. Incri- I'm, I'm struggling to even remember. There were table. There were uh, ladders involved, and there was like a double spot with all three teams. I'm struggling to remember what it is off the cuff right now. That uh, Dawson put of the revival put Gargano up in a superplex off the top rope onto a crowd of people below, and that had been that really. I think the first time I'd ever seen that spot. So live in the arena in Orlando, that was sick. Yeah. But there was an even better one involving a table. I think you're yeah, and for- the ladders and like Gargano flipped over it and almost landed on his neck. Like both of those matches were incredible. I, I wish I had I could articulate the specific spot I'm talking about. I'll tweet it out on at in this corner CBS because it was that great. But those matches in NXT did not get any lo- any love on this show. But the Gargano Champa. Split was a feel spot moment for me this year, um, and a lot of what NXT Takeover did or NXT did with the tag teams on those two Takeover cards, I thought was tremendous. Yeah, and and it's good that we sort of clean up anything we we missed here. The other thing we can clean up is if that Oscar Nikki Cross match wasn't the best women's match of the year, the best pure women's match for my money was probably Oscar Ember Moon the final time. Yes, that was at Takeover Brooklyn. And that may have been the best women's match WWE has had in a few years. You know, for this, we talk about this women's revolution for a pure match with big spots and intensity in a bad year for WWE women. That match is fantastic. Do you like that better than Bailey Sasha Banks? (sighs) That's where you're going to get into a debate. I think that match was as good as any of those great NXT ones. And I'm talking about the NXT Fatal 4-Way one. I'm talking about the... Uh, the first Charlotte Sasha one in NXT that was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I thought that Sasha and Becky had an incredible one that nobody talks about anymore when their partnership blew up. I thought this match, Asuka and I'm sorry, uh, Ember Moon was right on that level. We didn't do a women's match of the year. We probably should have in hindsight. I think I would have voted for that one. Yeah, I probably would have voted for that as well. But I think putting it over that Sasha Banks Bailey match. I mean, there's a reason why WWE puts it on on a pedestal. Uh, it really does belong there. It was that good. No question about it. All right. We look back on 2017. We gave out the awards and full disclosure. We only had a certain uh, clearance of Nick Costos this week. He's the most passionate man and one of the most busiest men in North America. So we did awards with him. We're going to go without him for the look ahead to 2018. I'm going to kind of give you some rapid fire things, Adam. I'm going to answer them myself. I want to hit you up with this first. What feud do you want to see in 2018? 
above all else. And I'm not necessarily saying Omega to WWE, nothing like that. Within the house of WWE, what feud do you want to see the most? Wow, that's a, that's a good way to start. Uh, I'll give you one for each brand, okay? Because I think that's the most fair way to do it. On the Raw brand, I want to see Roman Reigns, Finn Balor, and I want to see Finn Balor as a heel. And on the SmackDown brand, I want to see AJ Styles, Shinsuke Nakamura, because I think there's anyone... Shinsuke Nakamura can work with almost anyone in the ring, maybe with the exception of Jinder Mahal, but I think AJ Styles knows how to work a feud and a storyline with him, and it will give us the opportunity to see the, to see the absolute best side of Shinsuke Nakamura on the main roster, which we have yet to even come close to seeing yet. I think that those are great answers all around. I, you know, it's hard to not pick Styles Nakamura or Styles Balor, and both of those you and I gave out as separate predictions to come off the Royal Rumble to see as a match at WrestleMania. That would be yeah. <laughs> absolutely incredible. This sort of ties into my one wish for WWE in 2018. This isn't my biggest wish for WWE, but one of my wishes for 2018 is to see more of Brock Lesnar. And I know that you and I have had this debate before. You're somebody who maybe wants to see a little bit less of Brock Lesnar. I want to see more of him, and I want to see him in more uh, well-planned-out, longer feuds against workers. He can do great against Goldberg, against the Undertaker in these short programs against Samoa Joe was fantastic. And that four way heading into SummerSlam was great. But for how good that AJ Styles match, you know what I want to see? I want to see a three month Brock Lesnar feud against AJ Styles or even one that long, by the way, against Roman Reigns, which we probably will see because sometimes those WrestleMania feuds are sped up one month fast food versions and they're not long and played out. But if you're going to tell me I could see more Brock this year and I could see him against workers who are going to bump like Finn and AJ, that might be my biggest wish in terms of which actual feud do I want to see most. I don't want – it's not that I don't – I want less Brock. I don't want any Brock. I don't want the Brock that I saw in 2017. To me, it hinders the rest of the roster, and I, I'm not going to repeat it because we've gone over it ad nauseum. But for Brock Lesnar to show up once every four weeks or not even do that and have Heyman cut a promo for him, he's. I don't think he's wrestled on Raw since 2002. I don't think he's wrestled on – a WWE TV show since 2003. So th this is a part-timer of all part-timers here. At least John Cena, when he comes back for a short run, he's on every Raw. He cuts promos. He's doing his thing. So I don't want this version of Brock Lesnar. I hope when Roman Reigns pins him at WrestleMania clean in the middle of the ring after he kicks out of an F5 and eats a spear, and Lesnar eats a spear, I hope that's the last we see of him unless it's true one-off matches. He should not be WWE champion any longer, and I, I just cannot take what WWE sacrifices putting him in the position they continually do, and I think it was a hindrance this year. That's a fair way to look at it. So you'd rather him be almost a celebrity, bring him back for the four majors in one-off matches. That's fine. See, I think there's another big run in him, but it's got to be done the right way. It can't be done the way it is now, where his appearances consist of the first five minutes to open the show, or the last five minutes to end the show. Like right. his appearances, like if, if he's got dates in his contract, they got to use him more. And I don't know if that means Vince putting his foot down more, but you got to use him for the whole storyline of an episode, right? I don't, what I don't want, here's what I don't want. I don't want him to have raw matches. I don't want that out of him. I don't want to use his in-ring work gratuitously because then it won't feel special. But you know what still feels special? Him, him showing up 
uh, Paul Heyman speaking off of him. I want to see him in multiple match feuds, and I want to see more of him. I don't think it's too much to ask to have two Raw matches a year and for WWE to build those up at the correct dates so they're absolute ratings bonanzas. You get to watch Brock Lesnar on free TV. Like, I don't think that's too much to ask. And if you're not going to have matches, which is to your, you know, your suggestion, he needs to have in-ring moments, attacking moments. And like you said... This guy shows up and literally is on TV for 15 minutes, and that's a date that they're using of Brock Lesnar. That is not how it should work. He has to be used throughout a show, prove that this guy does not literally walk into the arena, stand next to Paul Heyman, say nothing, and then walk out, and you're literally paying him, I'm just purely guessing here, folks, $100,000 to stand in a ring for 15 minutes. Like, that is not what Brock Lesnar should be bringing to this company, and they should not be paying him for it. And if they are, they're wasting money. Save that. Offer it to CM Punk and get him back in WWE and overpay him because he will actually work the dates that he's booked. All right. Well, we have ad nauseum the idea of kind of predicting the top of the WrestleMania 34 card because we're all agreed if you follow the, the Meltzer-type reports that it's probably Reigns-Lesnar. And we've already predicted who we want to win the Royal Rumble, which essentially in a lot of ways – puts out who we want in the SmackDown main event. But is there any WrestleMania 34 match that you want to predict that you hope to see, whether it's a big name return, whether it's how they end up using the women and or Ronda Rousey, because we typically get an old name one-off return. And there's a little bit of internet chatter that it might be John Cena versus the undertaker or something on that level, which does not move me at all because guys, I don't want anything to do with the Undertaker anymore. We had like the last the last drops that were left in the jar. He poured out against Brock Lesnar in 2015, and it was fine. It was fine, okay. It was it was fine. I'm done with that. Unless you're gonna build a faction around him where he can be a reduced role mastermind, I don't want to see him in the ring. I don't want to see him against Cena. That's not the direction I want to go. But if you ask me, is there an old timer coming back that I would pop for outside of this whole Daniel Bryan conversation, which is another deal? I don't know if there's one specifically and outside of Punk coming back where there's a guy that, um, you know, I'd pop for. You know, Angle coming back, I think we've already seen it twice. It kind of lost its luster. Batista coming back is fine. It doesn't make me move. Is there one name for you that you're like, if that guy comes back and puts together a program, I'm going to be fired up? There's not. There, there really isn't at all. Uh, they could, in theory, work something with Goldberg and Cena if they don't go Cena and Undertaker. But, again, he just had his run, Goldberg. Last year, I got my fill. Like, he did a great job. Good for him. I'm done. I care more about the other part of that question uh, which in terms of what do you want to see really happen at WrestleMania? And for me, I want there to be two women's championship matches. I want them to be singles matches, one-on-one, with either deserving or massive name competitors. And if you're not going to do that, the only other match that will be acceptable to me is the horsewomen match, four-on-four, yes. four, uh, you know, the right. MMA Versus the, each other. versus the NXT. Oh, you're talking four and four. See, I would have countered you and said, I'd rather see the original NXT four in a fatal four-way, which they've wanted forever. Yes. And they've talked about a ton over the Rousey angle. I'd, I, I think I'd rather, I'm at the point now where I'd rather see an actual Rousey match than see the four on four. I, so, but the four on four match inherently goes back to WWE's problem with booking women's wrestling which is they basically say, well, we have two spots on the show. Let's throw them all in there. I would like to see Sasha Banks, Charlotte Flair. I would like to see Charlotte Flair, Becky Lynch. I would like to see Charlotte Flair, Ronda Rousey. I mean, she is training and ready to go. So 
I find those options, the ones I presented, two singles title matches with legit performers, yeah. Oscar Bliss, etc., or the the horsewomen match, as really the only options. I do not want to see an eight on eight, four on four, or, or a women's battle royal because the Royal Rumble was so good, so they opened the show with it. Like, actually treat the women's matches like they truly matter and are on par with men. And yes, men at, at WrestleMania, we've gotten triple threat matches, and I think there's probably been at, been at least one fatal four way in the past. But generally, there's one-on-one championship matches for the two main titles. And I want them to do the exact same thing with women. Yeah, I think those title options are really strong for women. I'd like to see Sasha involved in something big, which kind of leaves her out. If we're going to do Asuka Bliss and then Charlotte Rousey, let's say, it would leave her out. But I'm sure they can get creative. You can always do a uh, triple threat with Rousey to hide her to a certain degree. And that might be a better way to go in the long run there. What I don't want to see is Shane McMahon in a match, to be honest, unless it's against Daniel Bryan or unless he's a part of the match. I'm kind of done with that. Outside of that, there's not a lot that I'm just like, don't give me outside of The Undertaker. Cena's going to have to have a match, and it's going to have to matter. And if you're not going to cash in on the attempt for the 17th title, which means you don't have to let him win it, but you can use that storyline of him going for it and have Ric Flair at ringside in the other corner. I've, so I've been talking forever, right, about if you're going to do Cena Undertaker, make it be for the 17th title and have fl- a, a heel Ric Flair in Undertaker's <laughs> corner trying to help him. They won't go in that direction. So if you're not... You do need a creative matchup for Cena. So outside of him facing a legend coming back, is there someone in-house we're not thinking of? Could you just dial up Finn Balor, Cena, do two faces and have a great match? I think you could do Balor, and I think you could do Nakamura, because let's not forget, I think what was it? It was a number one contendership tournament or something that they fought in the finals of, and it was a damn good match on SmackDown, and Nakamura went over Cena, right? So there's a rematch to be had there. Balor is an easy one. Samoa Joe is sitting out there, needs an opponent. Braun Strowman is sitting out there, needs an opponent. So I think... Strowman. Cena Strowman's a little juicy. That that could be something. So I think there's no um, dearth of potential opponents for John Cena. However, I'm going to counter you. If they did go with The Undertaker, I would be okay with it because it's the last match. Like, we keep saying, okay, his last match, he finally lost. He's done. All right, now he lost again to Roman Reigns. He's done. Well... The last match in The Undertaker's catalog that he has not had, he's fought everyone, Austin, you know, Rock, Hogan, all these guys. He has never fought John Cena. That match needs to happen. If it was me, I'd give the guy a full year off to heal, extra surgeries, get in great shape, whatever. Give him $2 million, come back, do a match next year at WrestleMania 35, which I believe is in Texas. So, like, perfect, right? God, that match is going to look so bad, though. But like, give him a year instead or not. Of, like, but instead of doing it this year, I don't know. I think he had a bunch of surgeries after that Reigns match, if I remember correctly. Um, well, but but, what, that but, match would have to be, like, the fourth on the card because that's yeah. not, a, like... If they go, though. Got, but if they it go, would, it's okay. Like, I know you're poo-pooing it. It's, it's okay. It would look bad in the ring. It, the buildup it doesn't... I can't think of a great way to do it, which means you have to do career versus career, right? Yeah. It probably has to be, well, but I would think, see, but I would think Taker, I would think Taker would go over Cena, though, in his last match. So I don't think you can do career versus career. No, Taker is a businessman. And I don't say businessman, meaning he's in it for himself. I mean, a man of the business, right? He was willing to break his streak against Brock because they wanted, they felt it was the right time. He's not going, he, he's leaving the territory on his back, which is why he, sh- if you had to do Reigns Taker, which they apparently had to do this year and we had to endure it. At least they ended it the right way. Adam, let's like let's not gloss over that. And I know we're gonna have four months, two three months to talk, you know, to, to debate what should happen at Mania, but 
you ended that you did Reigns Undertaker. Yeah. That should have ended it. Why do you why would you bring him back? I think he retired right there. I think we're gonna know almost definitively whether the Undertaker will be at WrestleMania on January twenty fifth during that is it January twenty fifth? The Raw twenty fifth anniversary episode. I think it's that day. I'm not totally sure if that's that. But I don't have right confidence there. that they're gonna actually explain it the right way. Like that's just how they do it. Whatever. We can't yeah. we can't harbor on this too long. But. <laughs> I know you're not a huge fan of it, but the match to be fair, should have already happened and probably needs to happen before both retire. And to me, now is as good as, of a time as any. And I mentioned there wasn't a legend that I would pop major for to come back. Shawn Michaels is still that name. I just don't think he would do it. But I think he can come back and have a hellacious oh. match. He's in incredible shape. And, li- and literally, anytime he wanted, The Rock is in the physical shape and has the mic ability oh. to come yeah. back and do any match. And do we get The Rock Roman? I'm not going to get it this year. But do we get The Rock Roman Reigns one-on-one in... in- I'll be honest with you, and you're not going to like this. I'd rather do Rock Brock than Rock Roman. But we've seen that already. Yeah, but we saw it, what, in like 2002, right? It wasn't yeah. like we saw it in this version of Brock. We haven't seen You know, the, the version of Brock post-UFC, we haven't seen. I want The Rock to put himself over Reigns. WrestleMania main event yeah, wins the title. Cool. I mean, that, that's what I would like to see happen. Okay. All right, uh, let's speed through a couple more. WWE MVP prediction for the next year. Uh, Omega won our MVP, essentially, for wrestling as a whole. Within WWE, I gave mine to Reigns for this calendar year. You could have argued, AJ, you could have argued Braun Strowman. Who do I predict for next year? Well, obviously, it comes down to booking because that's why I couldn't give it to AJ this year because the booking was bad on SmackDown. He didn't get the opportunities. If all things are the way that we see it, I think it could be Braun Strowman's year next year. I think if they keep going in the right direction with him, don't let him to lose lose to somebody he shouldn't, and then eventually get the title on him around summer time, we could be looking at a Braun Strowman MVP year. That, you know what? You're the exact same process kind of I was thinking about. Let Reigns win, obviously, at WrestleMania over Lesnar, and you have him keep the title for a while, and maybe Braun beats him at SummerSlam, and they take that feud all the way into WrestleMania 35. I mean, that that's the way to go there. I think there's obviously a lack of belief in Finn Balor. He has the ability to be the MVP, but he's not being given the opportunity. Um, AJ Styles, they, he's now a known quantity, so I have a feeling they're going to take him a little bit for granted. Same kind of goes for Kevin Owens a little bit. And then John Cena, obviously, is a little bit too far out of it. And I think Roman Reigns, I agree with you for him winning it in 2017. He had his year. He can be great next year. He could hold the title all year and be in great feuds. But generally, you don't win MVP back-to-back years, and this year was Roman Reigns' year. Right, and, it, and, it, and again, because he went over the fans, I think that's what was a major part of it. It wasn't as forced as it had been in the past. Uh, I want to talk about changes we think WWE could and should do in 2018 to grow and evolve. And something we brought up looking back at 2017 was the whole idea of is the double brand system working? And certainly they've made their adjustment for 2018. When you look at the pay-per-views on paper right now, as things stand now, only the months of May and September 2018, are there more than one pay-per-view in the same month where it's one SmackDown and one Raw? Every month has either a SmackDown or a Raw or either a major. That's a significant change to what they're doing. So here's my suggestion for how they complement that. I don't think the double pay-per-view twice a month thing is working anymore, and I think that's why they've made their adjustment. I don't think they're doing as the kind of booking that they need to keep that thing going. Why not elevate NXT to a monthly takeover system and make that not the second biggest brand in WWE because Raw and SmackDown – I think will still stay that way because they want the TV ratings. They want, they don't want SmackDown to be a second rate, like 
recycled storylines. They want it to be its own thing, but make it their second biggest pay-per-view brand because it's so damn good, Adam. And I know they did that one-off on the USA Network in December, and the ratings were not that strong, by the way. And we don't know what's going to happen on their TV deal, which will be up to be renewed in 2019, wherever direction they go. But if you make NXT your legit second brand from a pay-per-view standpoint, it's going to deliver every month. It's going to build you more fans, and it's going to make the people that come out of NXT even hotter commodities. So, plus or minus so, on that. I, I, it's, it's, a, it's a zero for me because they're already taping four shows at a time. So you want them basically to do one TV taping and then a takeover every single month. Now, they are expanding to five takeovers this year. Dave Meltzer reported WWE's making the Money in the Bank pay-per-view the fifth major, which I guess will be a multi-brand situation. I don't know about the match in particular, but that's a whole another story. I'm okay with doing more NXT and going to maybe six, so every other month. If you really wanted to stretch it and go to eight, maybe you have Clash of Champions-esque special editions of the NXT show, so you only tape three per month. You air one every two months live from you know full sale, give that crowd a little bit of extra, and you give the brand a little bit of extra, you put all the titles on the line. I mean, they basically just did that the last last week, I guess, on NXT. They had two of the three titles. Or no, sorry, they had the tag team title and the UK title, both defended in the same show. Add two more titles, do a couple specials. So I'm okay with expanding the NXT brand. I think overall what WWE needs to do is get more creative in creating specials on the network. I would not mind seeing a women's only pay-per-view with all three brands. I wouldn't mind seeing Beast of the East-esque uh, you know, situations. I think they also did Roadblock, where it was Triple H, Dean Ambrose's main event, glorified house shows. Put the MSG house show on the network. I think you need to do things like that to give people reasons to subscribe to the network and watch your product outside of the weekly shows. And right, I, support, I support your idea on more specials. I don't want more house shows, personal preference. I, I don't like house shows unless you're there, right? Like, I don't want that. Fair. But how about an annual cruiserweight classic tournament that runs opposite the G1, which is essentially WWE's version of the G1, and, and well, let anybody on the roster who's cruiserweight status to go in there and let them wrestle indie style and compete with G1. How about you just, Over- how about you just bring back the damn king of the ring, make it matter, take away yeah. the scepter and the stupid... Uh, cape or whatever you want to call that and and have a legitimate tournament with real wwe superstars on the network i'm down with it ha- have an annual may young thing to bring in more talent have an annual uh dusty classic whatever you want to do more of that is fine that does fill some of the pay-per-view holes to, to get some excitement i just want to see nxt matter more it's triple h told us it still has to be a a, a minor league system in a way yep. and i agree with that they still have to give somebody a chance to get shine but it's so damn good, and I want the booking in WWE to mirror how they book it in NXT. That I, w- it's like these pay per views. We I said it to Triple H, the NXT takeover pay per views are often better than the regular ones, or are as good. So I'd like to see more of it. That wouldn't be a bad change. What do you think about the idea with that contract coming up? And it won't be up, you know, in 2018. But we never know what kind of you know where where the deal is looking like it's headed. I think it might be time for WWE to make another run at network TV. And even though it seems like we're in the opposite now, because WWE made a big, bold move, right, in 2014 when they created this network, I still think to get that next level leap into mainstream popular sports and popular culture, sometimes you still have to be on, like, Saturday night's main event on Prime, you know, NBC. So is there a way they can or should do that to, to keep pushing that envelope and... If the TV deal is up and somebody like Fox, who's rumored to be interested if, if they don't re-sign the UFC, what about the idea of WWE program going to FS1 
and then them using Big Fox for big events. I think that could be a positive gain if that's the direction they go. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. It goes back to what I was saying a short while ago about NXT with, like, the Clash of Champions. And when I say that, by the way, I mean WCW Clash of Champions, where they actually had special television events. Occasionally, maybe it was twice a year, I forget. They changed it up a lot. Um, But they had special TV events outside of any TV shows they had, outside of any pay-per-views, where all the titles were on the line. It was really exciting, and they drew tremendous ratings. I would be down for WWE to do something like that currently right now on NBC. Um, they're obviously a PG product. They can work. I'm really – I have a lot of trepidation. I, I guess WWE doesn't if the numbers are right about WWE possibly leaving USA Network and NBC and going over to Fox. I think putting yourself on a sports network, even though you pretend to be sports in many ways, it really changes a lot of things. And I think Fox in particular is a brand that there's a lot that – goes along with it um, politically and otherwise. And yes, they sold off part of Fox and and things are changing. But I I think, oh, and one more thing, FS1 does not reach nearly as many households as the USA Network. So I think think WWE tried to move when they went to TNN and Spike TV. And then they saw USA and they're like, hey, come home to USA. We'll give you whatever you want. Remember that dog show that was a problem? No longer a problem. You need, you need to overrun 15 minutes on Monday nights? Not a problem. Like They're in a really comfortable spot. I think TV-wise, they should really stick with what they have. I like SmackDown Live on Tuesday nights. But I would be down, like you said, special events, network TV. Give me a Clash of Champions. Do a, do a King of the Ring tournament over a couple days on NBC in the summer. Like Why not do that? Yeah. I mean, the one thing I need from WWE, to be really honest, is just better booking. That's the one thing I need in 2018. Just more attention to detail. Just... Make longer-term, juicier things that hook people, that get them wanting to come back. No more short-term where you don't explain things. No more just, we, you know, we know you're going to watch anyway, so we're going to roll it out this way. Get out of that. Well, that's WWE, Adam. On the way out, we, we, I got to touch the revolution. I got to touch NJPW <laughs> a lot. We'll know a lot more, of course, next week with Wrestle Kingdom 12. Really, on, on where this could be going. If that show shines and Jericho looks like he's staying and there's some major surprise, who knows? But I think... I've talked about a lot for the revolution to have legs, for it to succeed, for it to work. I mean, obviously, you know, CM Punk and Daniel Bryan would be great, but those are pie in the sky things. But I do think they need another big name. Jericho was a key step forward. I do think they need another big name to cross over. What do you think NJPW's invasion of North America, if you call it that, and they're going to have their second U.S. show in March in Long Beach. What do you think they need to do? to critically take that another step forward in being a real, comp- you know, a rival and a competitor critically. Yeah, well, I think there's two things. Jericho, whether it's a one-off or a two-off, uh, I don't think it's a long-term situation. He's gonna, I, I still believe he'll be back in WWE sooner than later, definitely in 2018. Um, they need, A, another crossover star besides Omega who will actually draw in the U.S. and in Japan. And the answer there is Daniel Bryan. It, if he is not allowed to return to a WWE ring... And they can clear him, and apparently they have a doctor at NJPW who's also strict, as he should be with any athlete. Um, they need someone like him. I don't even know that CM Punk would do the same business that Daniel Bryan would, although I'm probably overthinking that. He probably would. Um, so they need that. That's number one. Number two, and I, I've said this months ago when we were talking about NJPW, um, they need to legit take legitimate steps to create an English website and yes. English social media accounts that don't just say things in English but actually speak to an American and an English audience um, because right now they don't have that. And it's extremely difficult, as much as we try and succeed to watch their programming, 
it's very difficult to truly watch it and follow it, and especially the storylines in between events without having a big English presence. So whether that yeah, is connecting outside, with Axis or something else, they just got to do something. So you're right on. From the outside looking in, there seems to be a certain level of stubbornness from the NJPW company saying, we love where we could go in America and North America and we want to expand, but we still want to serve and be a Japanese product and we want to serve our hardcore audience. And that's fine, but I think that you know, they want everyone to subscribe to their service like it's a WWE network. They don't want Mark Cuban and Access TV to air the events live, it seems. I think allowing that to happen and making the right deal is a monster step forward. It's not just the English website and the English social media, which is huge, by the way. I mean, how many times do you have to watch Raw for WWE to tell you how many YouTube followers they have and how successful they are in social media? Like the UFC, WWE knows what they're doing in social media. NXT's got NX, NJPW, sorry, has to get better in that. But they have to create a weekly American show, Adam, that has explanations of characters and storyline development. Not just take the really good matches from previous shows and put them together and have Jim Ross, you know, voice them. And that's great. They got to If you want to compete, and I don't know really because I, I don't speak to NJPW's Japanese brass. I don't know their exact hopes, dreams, and goals, right? I know Kenny Omega's from the interviews I read, but I feel like. You have, if you want to pull in this American market, and right now is the most fertile time for wrestling, so many more fans than there were five years ago, right? It's such a hot time. Create that TV show that connects, that gets people to not just love the in-ring matches, but all those great promos we see from Kenny Omega, those press conferences, the being the elite show, all that stuff, bundle it together and make a show out of it. And even if you do that, put that on New Japan you know, World also, like because I don't have the current channel that it's on. Sorry, Mark Cuban, like... Do I? You're not. You're not on my on my television, so I can't watch it. Um, if I had it, maybe we wouldn't be saying these things. But that's the truth. For me, even more than that, though, it's the website because people go to NJPW World, and even if they translate the page, it's daunting to sign up to know that you're going to get charged at the end of every month, no matter what. Like if you sign up the 29th, you get charged for the entire month of December. It's it's not a system. You get charged in yen, by the way, and you have to pay via PayPal as well, which I do thank, you know, for Brian and for Nick and for myself. Um, but it is not an ideal situation when you're trying to get American users. And really, I don't know all the economics behind it. It is not that expensive to hire one English writer who could run a website and a, a software team that's already running your website with an English speaker and say, hey, make us a website in English and copy exactly the same content we have. It, well, have it's that really second, not that tough in 2017. They have a second website. What is it, njpw1972.com? Yes. Or like a second one with information. But even that sometimes falls into the language barrier problem. It, you make a great point. It does, and, and World, their streaming service, is not on it, which it would need to be for this to really work like we're talking about. Yeah, all, all, all the way. All the way on that. I, I just, again... I don't, you know, cheer for the revolution to be real because I want WWE to go down. I cheer for it because I want WWE to be better and I want wrestling to be better. And yes, I one day want Omega and WWE, but I want things to change and things to improve. That is what we hope for 2018. We look back at 2017 already, but one more thing to say on the way out here, Adam. I think you'll agree with this. We can do nothing but close this calendar year by thanking the fans. We launched this podcast in April, right after WrestleMania 33. I came over to CBS a month earlier from that. Some people knew me from the GPD SPN days. We joined forces together. We added Nasty Nick a little time after that. And little by little, we've created our own audio revolution here. And it's because of the passion of these listeners who slide in our DMs, who 
do their duty with subscribe, rate, and review, who go on social media, hashtag in this corner, hit up our social media handle on Twitter, and make this show what it is for the people, by the people. I want to shout out, uh, you know, some of our mainest men here, Omar Al-Rashid, the D-Mitty brand from our Australian crew, Adnan1610, T-Barg37, Ron L. Wilson, Brian Owens, Brian Gutierrez, my main man, Bob Backlin at TalkBox, <laughs> Jeremy D. Smith, Rob Lopez, Tyler Long, Mark Rodriguez, Scott Sanchez, Adam X. Parsons, Chase Sharkfin, Lucky at Bumbrain, Daniel Greer, Trey Doherty, Randy Randerson, Dingus McGee, the old Dingus McGee, who's now our Hamet, Blake Molina, <laughs> Dusty Allen, Jay Browner, Brian Paulson, O. The Weiser, Nick Flynn, Matt Glaze, Gus LaFontaine, Mick Johnston, the great Arun Singh from Boom Studios, Marty Merck, Dave Ehrenberg, Jason Frazier, and my mainest of all main men on social media, Dusty Finish at I Salt Near Fall. That's just some of you. We apologize for the ones we didn't shout out, but we wouldn't be doing this without your support, your DM slides and all that. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a big part of this show and where it's going. Absolutely. Did you say D-Mitty or no? I did mention D Mitty. He, you know, I would have made D Mitty a star if it wasn't for Nick's, uh, Nick's, you know, healing out against him, saying this guy's not going to be bigger than our show. But he was, you know what? D Mitty was day one ish. He, he was day one ish. But you're not going to put yourself over and win the ITC brass. Like it's just not going to happen. We're not going to let you do it. Although you did just get what thirty seconds of your own personal shout out here on the year end broadcast, right? Absolutely. He's part of the crew, part of our our backbone that we do this. So follow us on Twitter. At B. Campbell, CBS, at Silverstein Adam, at The Costos Adam. It's been a great year launching this. I don't know if we've had a moment of the year on this podcast, a soundbite of the year, a guest of the year. We've had some great guests. We, you know, Roman Reigns was was as good as it gets. The some of our our talks on the red carpet at SummerSlam, Finn Balor was as good as it gets. But it's been a it's been an incredibly fun run. Yeah, it's been great. You know, think this is the first podcast I've ever done. You know, regularly I come from the sports world, college football, mostly here at CBS Sports. Uh, I have my own website as well, and. Um, you know, I haven't necessarily had the opportunity to do something like this before. So, BC, obviously, thank you for having me on the show. It's been great to be the Silver King for you all in 2017. I'm also going to give the other Twitter handle that BC always seems to forget at In This Corner CBS on Twitter. We do polls, we send out highlights, gifts, uh, our stories from CBSSports.com, and of course, every single episode of ITC that gets published. You will find out first if you follow at In This Corner CBS on Twitter. We've heard you laugh this year. I heard you laugh. I heard you get off on it, brother. And we say thank you for the Costos for Adam Silverstein. It's BC signing off for 2017. Goodbye and good night, Ben. We out.